All right, everyone. Hello and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your mostly weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I know we took off last week because partially the Super Bowl was on and we record on Sundays. Partially, it was a really slow week anyway, and, uh, you know, life happens. So we, we were off for a week, but we're back now. And we're going to be talking about last night, UFC 247, and what an absolute clown fiesta the Texas, I don't know if they're the Texas State Athletic Commission or if they're like the Texas uh, Department of uh, regula- uh, Regulatory Athletics, they might have a different name, what an absolute clown fiesta that organization is. And this has been known for a while, but good grief last night is like the most damning evidence against them you could ever ask for so we'll be talking about that as well as the fights because there were fights and a couple of them were pretty good most of them weren't what are you gonna do we will also have a preview of ufc on espn plus 25 for next week speaking of crappy cards um yeesh that one so you can listen to us bury it that'll be fun And since we missed last week and whatnot, we'll go over news for the last little bit. Uh, Donald Cerrone put paid... uh, Donald Cerrone on Instagram apparently did not receive anything other than his flat contractually obligated money for the fight with Conor McGregor. No pay-per-view points for Cowboy. Sucks to be him. Um, Some fighters announced changing of weight classes... We got some numbers in on UFC 246, the aforementioned Cerrone versus McGregor card. And I tend to trust these sources because they're coming from the parent company of ESPN, Disney, which does, in fact, have to be accurate when reporting these things. So, you know, the UFC says something did such and such. They're under no legal obligation to be honest with you at all. So they're probably not going to be. When you're talking to stockholders, you have to give some accuracy numbers yeah you open yourself up to a lot of litigation if you mislead <laughs> on that sense so and uh, the ufc's announced some fights that they want going forward none of these are signed yet but we have an idea about the direction they want to take over the next six months give or take well four months for certain so we've got all that and you already oh sorry before going on i should put this at the front of the show however you are finding us whatever your podcast medium of choice stitcher apple podcasts uh, Transistor, YouTube, a lot of places you can find us. I don't care how you have found us. Thank you very much. Please interact with the product a little bit. Not a lot, just a little. Write a review if you're so inclined. That's always helpful. If you're on YouTube, please give us a thumbs up because I think we deserve a thumbs up rather than a thumbs down, given that that's a binary situation. If you're on any other platform and they do the star rating thing, however many stars you think we're worth. I'm not going to say five. I don't think we're worth five. But uh, more than one. So you've got plenty of options to play around with there. Uh, Anyway, thank you all very much for being here, for listening. That is always appreciated. Back with us. Uh, He missed the last time we did the show because, again, life. But you already heard him. Jeffrey Harris is back with us. Uh, Always happy to have Jeff back on the show. How are you, Jeff? Dominic Ray has lost. He only has himself to blame. Get over it. You're lucky to have me. It's your honor and pleasure. I'm Jeffrey Harris. 
All right, let's go ahead and jump into that for UFC 247. Uh, the main event, John Jones officially defeats Dominic Reyes via unanimous decision. 248-47s, 149-46. Uh, let's get this out of the way. 49-46, absolute crap. That is an indef- That is a borderline indefensible score. Uh, in fact, it might be completely indefensible. Well, based- I think two judges gave the second round to Jones. I think most people believe the second round is more of the swing round. Uh, I'm not sh- watching it live. I went one and two for Reyes, three for three, four and five for Jones. I'm not sure that's accurate on my part. I'm Let's really see. not. I think the second round could have been a 10, 10 round. I, I haven't had a chance to really rewatch the frankly, fight. Yet. And frankly, I feel like this fight easily could have been a draw. The media was fairly split on this fight. Joe Silva scored the fight a draw. UFC's former matchmaker. Dana White said he scored it basically for Reyes. But let's see. The judges were Chris Lee, Marcos Rosales, Joe Solis. Yeah. Judges gave gave round two, 10-9 Jones. Rosales uh, gave round three, 10-9 Jones, 48-47. Okay, so the issue here is Joe Solis gave the fight four four rounds to one Jones. But you're saying rounds two and three, Robert, you're saying those are swing rounds. No. Which ones were the swing rounds? I, there's actually some disagreement about that. What are you saying were the swing rounds? You said round two earlier. Uh, for me, it was three. Okay. I, so I gave, two, you gave round, so you give round two to Reyes. Yes. As yes. I did. Doing it live, I gave rounds one and two to Reyes. Okay. So to me, here's my thought. Round two is either 10-10 or, or, or Reyes. Now, it's just my opinion. Um, so, if you have a 10, if you have 10, a ten what happens if it's a 10-10 round two, basically? And I gave round one, I give rounds one uh, to Reyes, three and four to Jones, two is a 10-10. And then three, you know, I mean, what did you do? How did you see three? Was three, um, three Reyes? Live, I gave it to Jones. I I am let, I, again, I haven't had a chance to rewatch the fight. I'm not sure that's accurate. I mean, look, if you're saying yourself there were two swing rounds, then how is 49-46 so offensive? I am less and less convinced that round two was as close as we all thought it was live. Now, some I of this is it was some, some of this is hindsight, fair, but okay. uh, to, me, to me, to me, the last two rounds were effectively Jones. Oh yeah, four and five are Jones. There's no question. Round one is Reyes's round. Effectively, Reyes's round. Yeah, no question. So, 
Watching it live, I felt it was either round two was either a 10-10 or a 10-9. Round three is the one I'm having a bit of trouble with. I think round three is the least memorable of all the rounds. So if we're just doing this from memory, it's probably the hardest one. At the end of the third round, Jones scored a decent knee at the end of the round. I remember that. Or am I for, or, or is that in a different round? Uh, that might be a different round. Okay. Well, here's here's the main thing I want to get across. Total number of strikes per round does not necessarily have to win you the round. Especially and under the old rules, which are terrible. What was that? Especially under the old scoring criteria, which is what they were using because Texas is not updated to the more modern okay. set, and the old scoring criteria is terrible. Robert, even if we were to use in like a pride scoring system, I still don't think Reyes would necessarily win this fight. Well, hang on. I don't mean. Let me be clear. When I say old scoring criteria, the more the newest variation of the unified rules of MMA alters okay. the language and the scoring criteria. It is to a, in my estimation, a superior to a superior version that's of not it. even my point my point is if this were to be scored under pride scoring rules i don't even think reyes would necessarily win pride scoring rules were such crap too okay like, people forget how people tend to forget how bad their scoring system was aren't they similar to kickboxing no, scoring criteria not at all okay what pride, is the on, pride scoring uh, what for kickboxing scoring yeah Depends on which organization. All right. For K1. K1 rewards. Um, God, K1 has such a weird. Uh, I believe I'm doing this off the top of my head, so I might be confusing okay. some of K1. K1 not only rewards, you know, like punches and kicks landed. Uh, there's general efficacy as well. You know, uh, how hard did you land? K1 also rewards the like the more flashy a technique is. If it lands, it's worth more. Okay. So five jabs can be outdone by one, like, wheel kick. This is codified in their rules, if, mem- if I'm doing okay. if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, they also have, you know, the knockdown system, and they only have three-minute rounds. Uh, Here's- I, Muay Thai is very similar in that they ha- each strike is actually weighted differently. So a jab scores less than a cross, which scores less than a leg kick, which scores less than an elbow, which scores less than a knee. I forget the exact hierarchy, but every every individual kind of strike, if you're talking about Muay Thai competition, is weighted differently. So here's what I saw. As early as the second round, it looked like Reyes was taking his foot off the gas he was, he, he was picking his shots. He was getting some good good shots in there, some good punches, some good kicks to the body, into the legs. But in the second half of the fight, Jones came on stronger. And I didn't really just see Reyes doing very much. When you're in a title fight that's five rounds, you can't play this pick-and-choose points game. You have to be trying – to me, you have to be trying to engage – to enable action and you have to be trying to beat your opponent and in the second half I didn't really see Reyes doing very much of that and I don't I mean I don't really feel like Reyes deserves a victory and quite frankly that's why I'm sort of fine with calling this fight a draw 
I don't really feel like Reyes. If Reyes had won this, I, it wouldn't have been a very satisfying victory to me. Kind of like when Frankie Edgar won the title or Forrest Griffin, for that matter. I failed to see what Forrest Griffin beating there Rampage was. About, there were complaints about the scoring for Forrest Griffin versus Rampage at the time. Yeah, they came from Rampage's camp. It also came from Randy Couture. That that blows my mind. Like, no, I'm sorry, guys. No, Forrest won that fight fair and square. All right, whatever. By every... All right. Well, I'm removing that one, and I'm maintaining Frankie versus uh, BJ Penn, the first one, where a veteran judge scored 50-45 for Frankie Edgar, which is insanity. That's a ridiculous scorecard for that fight. And that was and that was a veteran MMA judge right there. Well, oh, veteran for the time. Man, veteranship has it has advantages and disadvantages. I'm not saying a good judge, a veteran exper- judge who had experience judging MMA fights at that time. Yeah. Okay. But am I am I wrong here with what I'm saying, or, or am I really off base? Uh, depends. Like, there's there's a degree of your argument that is off base. What am what what? All right. So tell me what I'm off base about here. The math. Like you want to win a you want to win a five round fight, win three rounds. That's all okay, you have to do. But it seems it seems there's a lot of question here. Did Reyes actually win three rounds? That's what he was trying to do. That's what he was clearly trying to do by the end of it. But it didn't work. I mean, it, it's that strategy didn't work. To me, if you're going to try and do that in a title fight, you have to emphatically win those rounds. And he didn't. I feel like he didn't do that here. I, I, there's a degree of me having to rewatch this fight that's necessary for this conversation that I haven't had the chance to do yet. But I can support. I can even support taking a round off early on. Hey, I can take, support, look. Take the last two rounds off. I don't care. You win three rounds, you win a title no, fight. I mean, I mean, look. I mean, Robert, come on. What? You, my thing is, you can't be as unengaging as he was in the last two rounds against John Jones in a title fight and be upset that you didn't get the decision. I'm sorry. He's not, you know, he's surprisingly less upset than a lot of the fan base is. I mean, he thinks he won fair enough. A lot of people do, Okay. but he's not throwing a fit about it. Cause he knows deep down he could have done more. Maybe he tried to dance. He tried to dance his way. To a judge's decision, and that's stupid. No, he could have done. You know, he could have done more in this. Fight. I absolutely do not know that. He could have done more. That's a that is a wild mischaracterization of the effort he put in through the first three rounds and the physical reality of fighting John Jones. The notion that Dominic Reyes left anything on the table at the end of this fight is oh. what is to me completely inaccurate. And whatever. Uh, and it's kind of sad that lost in the discussion of the judging of this fight is how good the fight was. It was a great fight. I mean, again, setting aside who you think won and how and your know, scoring criteria and the fact that the old scoring system actively punishes fighters for backing up, even when it's where they fight where they fight best and is a deliberate part of their game plan. 
that that still bo- that still boggles my mind that the old scoring system that heavily weights just moving. So I basically so my official score for this was a 48-48 draw. That's okay. my official score. Fair enough. So here's what I have. Round 1 Reyes. Round 2 is I had 10-10, which is a problem because we rarely get those these days. Four and five for Jones, three for Reyes. That's what I'm keeping my tabs at. Okay. And I don't think there's a... And you know what? Had it been a draw, I would have seen no problem with that either. So I was either... I was basically either Jones or draw last night. Fair enough. Now, had I scored it a 48-48, if I was a judge, would you have, would you have, would you have screamed bloody murder over that? It's a hard one to say. If there, if there had been an official, my judge's card. If there had been an, if there had been an actual judge who said that was a forty-eight, forty-eight. Yes. I would not have called for your. I don't think I would have called for you to lose your job over that. <laughs> What, but the, the judging issues were a theme throughout the evening. Okay, for the record, this Joe Solis moron, who's yeah. apparently, I, I've heard this secondhand, apparently is not only a black belt in jiu-jitsu, but like has a school in the Houston area, yeah. or some variety of martial art, um, gave Trevin Giles the first round of that fight against James Krause, which is utterly indefensible. Were, were Krause, all, I mean, had grappling had his his back for three minutes like over three minutes and had like two or three close rear naked chokes yeah thought thought james Krause did not win that giles had very little offense as i recall i agree with you and he's also the guy who went 30 27 for andre ewell in the first fight of the night which is another awful scorecard (sighs) this man is not competent to judge mma I recall there was like a really weird score like that in a in a strike force fight. With who was it? It was a Josh Thompson fight back in Strike Force. I think it was against Cavalcante. His is it is it Jesus Jesus? How am I? How do you pronounce that name? Uh, I think it's Josias. Josias Cavalcante. What was that? It was a really just like they gave the wrong scores to each round. It was it was a strike force card back about ten, almost ten years ago. But uh, what a what a problem that was. So um, what did, what did what do you think Reyes did well? What did he what did he not do well? Uh, jeez, I think the only thing the big thing that hurt Reyes was whether consciously now whether this was deliberate on his part or just uh, an una- I almost have to talk about it in a slightly different way. Uh, he was first of all very very good about penetrating John's defense in areas. John Jones has exceptional striking defense. 
Uh, I think his official statistic was something like 65% before this fight. So, for put a better way, out of every three punches or kicks you throw at John Jones, two of them are going to miss or be blocked. Reliably. Uh, Reyes was able to find ways through that. Not at, you're not horribly consistently relative to John's defense, but you know, much more consistently than anyone else. I mean, I think they said on commentary after the first round that in the first round of that fight, Dominic Reyes landed more strikes on John Jones than Tiago Santos did over their entire 25 minute fight. Finding ways to penetrate John's defense is very, very difficult. And he found ways to do it. He was good about uh, being the first one to the punch. Anytime John was going to get into range, uh, Reyes was the one who wanted to be first, which is a big thing against John. Reyes, Reyes was at like a six and a half or seven inch reach disadvantage, which is insane considering these guys are both the same height. And he found ways to get around that. Uh, fight, finding ways to fight at a reach disadvantage is certainly not impossible, but it can take some doing. And he was able to find his way around that very, very quickly. Uh, he was good about finding spots to land damage. He was good about pressing the offense anytime he had Jones really backing up. Those were those moments when he actually backed John up appreciably were few and far between. And John's ability to roll with punches and slip is perpetually underappreciated. Uh, Reyes found good moments to sneak in uppercuts, especially whenever John would try to reach in for a clinch. Uh, Reyes was really good about regaining his feet after on the couple of occasions. He, I mean, he wasn't taken down at all in the first three rounds. He was only taken down in the fourth and fifth. And even more or less physically exhausted, was able to every time get back up and force separation relatively quickly. Uh, he did a lot that was very, very good. He's a, um, That was the other thing. He's good about drawing you forward, so he likes to fight backing up a lot of the time. And he's very good about closing off angles when he's moving. If he's going to circle off to a weak side, he's not just circling with his hands down. He circles and he throws something. And anytime, a lot of times if you're going to circle away from him... You better have your hands up, if nothing else. He's going to try to find a way to hit you there. And he caught John a couple of times in, in that situation. So there's a lot that he did well. I I think the big thing that kind of... And again, I don't know how much of this was conscious, how much of this was a, a byproduct. He really kind of emptied the gas tank in those first three rounds. And to his credit, one at least two of them and arguably won all three at least again he officially i'm i'm not going to entertain uh Soli's stupidity at this point i'll yell about him more later i thought okay I, what about john's performance uh john Un look John was in trouble in that first round, stayed calm, didn't panic, remained patient, and he came back hard in the second half. Yeah, John's game plan seemed to, I can't speak to the 
uh, this might have been an adaptation as Reyes came out as hard as he did. John really seemed to kind of be on the game plan of gradually accelerate over time rather than you know, dumping everything at once. John was really good, actually, about kind of shutting down Reyes's leg kicking game. Now, Reyes still got several of them off, but John was good about kicking with him. I mean, those two banged shins a lot. Those hurt me just watching and if you've never banged bully, shins. He couldn't bully around Reyes with the grappling either. Reyes had the grappling scouted. Yeah. Uh, Reyes, again, really good about regaining his feet any time that he did get taken down, especially late. Good about clinch breaking when that situation arose. Uh, John, again, John's defense is also very, very good. Very hard to hit. John also has a heck of a chin. I mean, he ate some bombs in this fight. And so did old- Reyes. Reyes he, ate a few, yeah. He did get head kicked a couple times. Yeah, he got one that was just the toes kind of through the chin and... If that's, you know, again, that's one of those, you know, game of inches things. If that's another couple of inches more like onto the foot or the shin, who knows? Uh, yeah, John, yeah, he, he ate some uppercuts. Like, the kind of uppercut that, like, slept Jared Cannonier. John just ate. Uh, he got head kicked flush at one point, and John just, nope, I'm going to keep coming. Uh, so, good defense and a really good chin. But, you know. Uh, as things that, accelerated. That tab's, gonna, that tab's going to be collected eventually, one of these days. Yeah, it's going to it's going to get there at some point. Uh, John's trying to think about what hang on, we're trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to touch on that John did really well as that fight went on. Uh, John's body kicks really seemed to get to Reyes the more the fight went on. He was sneaking those in and landed them flush. Those were pretty gnarly. Uh, Cardio. John's punching is not great. I mean, it's better than it used to be. He doesn't have a lot of punching power, so he tries to sneak in elbows, and he found a few. John's he, never really been a, a superior puncher boxer, in my opinion. Yeah, he's not a big puncher. Uh, he, again, he just never has been. Uh, but he was though, man. He found some good. He did find some good openings to land punches yeah. here in this fight, and he found he straightened out a lot of his punches for a while, and then he's wound up looping them as Reyes' defense kind of changed. Uh, John's, you know, John's commitment to his methodology is incredibly impressive. Well, it almost doesn't matter what you throw at him. Like he might, he adapts so well over time. It's freaky. I think we do know that Reyes is at least probably one of the tougher matchups in the division now for Jones, though. Yeah, almost certainly. And... I don't know if he'll get a rematch, but he should be in because of this performance. At least he should be in the conversation because this is the tough. This is really the toughest fight Jones has had really since the first Gustafsson fight. Uh, in my estimation, this was tougher. I mean, if physically it might not have been as tough for him, but this is the I mean, first fight. Silva gave him some problems too. Eh, that fight. Rewatch that fight. It is not that close. This is the first fight I've watched. This is the first John Jones fight I've watched that at the end of it, I thought he lost. Not how I scored it, but I thought he's going to lose this fight. Hmm. I've, I didn't think that about the gut first Gustafson fight. I thought like, he could have lost, but like, I don't know. Like, 
Reyes just wasn't – I don't feel like he was trying to win. I think – well, this is one of the things that – I hate to phrase it this way because it's a it's, – it's both true and untrue. There's only so much physical preparation you can do for a five-round fight in the gym. Right. I've – you have – this is a weird thing to say, but – okay, for the record. I've fought to the point of my personal exhaustion a couple of times. Sure. My point of the physical exhaustion is depressingly close to how I walk around. So my this is not I'm a giant badass thing. Uh, I think I don't remember like the most tired I've ever been sparring. Probably one of my one of my belt tests. And my school, the way it works, there's you know, however many people are grading. And there were six of us total, so me and five others. And when it came time a long test was like so we're over two hours into the test already then we move on to fighting so we're already tired and i wound up fighting through the other line of five twice so me and the so i'm in the center okay whoever's up next he and i would uh, i you know we fight after however long i don't even know how long it was i would hesitate to say it was more than about 30 seconds we just but it's uh it's like sprinting like okay you're gonna fight and go 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 then whoever i'm fighting is out next person in line is in i'm still in go through the line twice uh by the end of that both my legs and my shoulders were not working properly which is a terrifying feeling uh when brian stan used to say on commentary the worst feeling in a fight is when your cardio fails you he is not lying that sucks and that whole thing lasted again if we're assuming something like 20 to 30 seconds per person in there it's less than five minutes, and I was I was done. Like I was I was just physically done. Like I, if I want to feel charitable about myself, I'd already been you know, doing the rest of the belt test for two hours before this. But still, and my cardio was not great. But there's only so much you're gonna do for that in the gym. There's a degree of shock to your system that you only get when you've been fighting another human being actively trying to kill you i don't necessarily mean that literally but let's not remove that from from, that's not off the table people die fighting for 25 minutes you know fighting that long is one of the most unnatural things in the world all organisms fight that is the most natural thing the vast majority of physical fights last less than three minutes now there's various reasons for that training intoxication depending on how drunk people are but most of the time if you see a fight it's over very very quickly you might think it's long especially if you're the one fighting your time your sense of time distorts rapidly but it's it's less than five minutes almost certainly well fist fighting for 25 minutes is one of the most both unnatural and draining things you can do to your body and you, you can prepare for it as much as you can. I mean, Dominic Reyes is a great fighter and he has great coaches. I am sure they prepared. But until you act, but you do not, and it doesn't matter how much you, there's a degree of it. There's that last little percentage that is only, that you only get after you've experienced it in real time. Because well, you never spar like you fight. You never do. It's just stupid to do that. Even if you I, do hard sparring. I, 
I have full belief that Reyes will be in a title opportunity again at some point in this career, and we'll see what happens. But if it's John Jones again, I'm probably going to predict another John Jones victory. If they do an immediate rematch, I think Reyes might have a better chance. If they if they each take a fight in between and then meet again, I would lean more heavily towards Jones. John Jones does very, very well the more information he has on his opponent. I mean, John's only had two rematches in his entire career. And I, I got to be honest, I was very nonplussed by Reyes' attitude going into this fight and calling it just another fight. But whatever. Eh, you do what you have to do to keep yourself mentally composed. Yeah. I mean, Anthony Smith has publicly stated he got mentally unnerved by that whole thing before he ever got in the cage with John. I mean, I'm not going to say he sounded mentally unnerved, but he sounded very blasé about it. And so did Alexander Gustafsson for the rematch. It sounded, I mean, he sounded very just unenthused by being in a title fight with John Jones and getting the title fight he worked several years for and winning the belt, but whatever. Uh, I always try to be a little bit deferential in that sense because you've got to keep yourself mentally kind of dialed in so you peak at the right time, and if you're hyped all the time, you just it's draining I, you physically. I get that, but at the same time, to me, that kind of... Call it arrogance, call it overconfidence, but that to me is kind of what separates the that fraction of athletes who are thoroughbred champions or are able to become champion, you know, from the people who don't, which is vast. The group that don't is a vast group. So that's that's select, very true. That select gifted few that are able to kind of connect those dots and secure that championship victory. And it's not just in combat sports. I, it, it's in many things. But I think we can move on to the co-main event now. Uh, and there's a couple of things I think I wanted to say very quickly about that main sure. event still. Right. Uh, with that. this... With this win, John Jones is now the winningest title, uh, winningest fighter in UFC history as it pertains to UFC title fights. Uh, this was his 14th win in a UFC title fight. He was tied with GSP at 13. The ones that were like overturned. The one no contest. Yeah. It's not on his. No, he didn't win that fight. It doesn't count as okay. far as that goes. I, he has won 14 title fights. Okay. Because that includes both that in, so that will include uh, his title win, and I think they include his interim title win as well. Because they include George's interim title win over Matt Hugh, over uh, Matt Hughes in their rem in their third fight in that same statistic. So yeah, he's won fourteen UFC title fights. And the first drug test he failed after the first Cormier fight that was for the cocaine. Uh, yeah, that I think so. Wasn't overturned. No, he's only had the one fight overturned. It's just too bad. He's like always causing problems for himself, and he had to get his first title run stripped. Yeah, he'd have had. Geez, if that. I mean, I mean, in all honesty, if he's not stripped of that belt, he would have beaten. In he would have beaten. He could have beaten uh, 
Demetrius Johnson's record, you know? Well, he would have be- he would have beaten Silva's before DJ did, I think. Yeah, exactly. And he'd still be on it. He'd still be. Yeah, it's it's insane to think how much that you know that period of his life potentially mm-hmm. cost him as far as the record books go. Officially, doesn't have like a legitimate actual loss. And when I mean a loss on his record, I mean decision, knockout, submission, not disqualification. Yeah, he is functionally undefeated. Yes, as far as that goes. Um, here's the crazy. Here's a slightly crazier statistic about that main event. Uh, well. Loosely related to it. Um, Dominic Reyes made his professional debut. First professional fight in 2014. In 2014, uh, John Jones was already champion. And in 14, he defeated Glover Teixeira for his... One, two, three, four, five, six, seventh title defense. Make sure I'm counting that right. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. His seventh consecutive light heavyweight title defense occurred the same year Dominic Reyes made his professional debut. John Jones has been in the UFC since 2008. And the... I mean, Jones's record of dominance is ridiculous, and it's gonna come to an end. In his, if I had to guess, somewhere in his next like four fights, we're probably gonna see him lose. There's just the grind is getting to him, and the amount of tape there is on him. I think I saw. I think they mentioned last night on the broadcast. There, John Jones has something like six plus hours of octagon time at this point. I mean, his last, of his last, let's see. So, he finished. He stops then. So, okay. So, okay. So, if we stop, if we stop counting, so the Chael Sonnen fight in 2013 finishes him. Gustafsson, Teixeira, Cormier, OSP, all go the distance. Stops Cormier in the third with a head kick. Stops Gustafsson. Smith, Santos, and Reyes have all gone the distance now. Okay. That's a lot of accumulated lot of fight time. Uh, I, again, I, I think it's probably coming sooner rather than later for John. But this, again, this level of sustained achievement is unbelievably difficult to pull off. And anytime you have this somebody doing this for that long... Eventually, it catches up to you both physically and just, hey, there's all this tape on John Jones we can study and dissect his habits and dissect his abilities and find wa- find angles and ways to beat him. And and every fight is harder. It okay, was- so do you want him to fight Corey Anderson next or do you want the Reyes rematch? Hmm. Corey Anderson's there. Well, Anderson's fighting Blahovitz next week. Okay. So you could the winner of those two is probably in the discussion. Assume the winner of those two is going to have to have a spectacular finish, I think, to kind of get themselves ahead Jones of Reyes. Jones was offered Anderson for this fight. Yeah, Jones wanted the Reyes fight. I I don't know why. I mean, this turned out to be probably the toughest fight of his career. 
I mean, I think he 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 want he he thought Reyes was a tougher challenge, or so he says. And that's what he said publicly was he thought Reyes was the more difficult opponent to beat. So, so. I mean, if that's true, you know, there's a very there's very few fighters, much less champions, who will go out of their way to find the toughest matchup possible. I mean, I I think that's good. I mean, if you're a competitor. It's not good for your longevity, but it's good for the fan base. I mean, look, if you're, I mean, if you're trying to carve out a legacy and you're trying to, because that's what matters. That's what you, when, when you're done, that's what you leave behind, you know? Try to defeat the undefeated opponents with the more impressive resumes. Uh, there's still a lot of noise being made about, you know, Adesanya and Jones as a fight. And if Adesanya can get by Yoel Romero, which is a whole, like, woof, that fight, man. Which I'm predicting he will. What? Which I'm predicting Adesanya will. I'm favoring Adesanya as well, but that's still a heck of a fight. Okay. If he comes through that, uh, that, maybe. That fight doesn't make sense to me, though, right now, because there are contenders for Adesanya. In theory, some of that will depend on Paulo Costa's timetable for returning. Paulo Costa and also Jared Cannonier. Yeah. Um, I mean, if Cannonier winds up taking another fight, say, uh, between now and will. then. He probably will because the Adesanya's fight happen- is happening with Romero. Well, he well remember, he was supposed to fight Whitaker on that same card. And then that fell through. Right. So, if I mean, Cannonier might need another fight just to make ends meet. You know, I mean, they do this for, this is their job. So, again, timing might be a little bit wonky. I'm a big Cannoneer supporter now, but having another win over a top opponent wouldn't wouldn't hurt his, wouldn't hurt his argument, I think, if if he can get it done. Uh, You've got Edmund Shabazian coming up the ranks. Yeah. He's got that fight with Derek Brunson coming up. That's a really good fight. And you got, I mean, Darren Till's hanging around there now. And, you know, who knows? Hermanson might rally back. and Yeah, I mean, he had the, he had the setback to Cannoneer, but yeah, he could come back. I mean, Hermanson is still a good fighter, and he's done some good things in this division. So he could he could make another run. You never know. Right. Point That all being said, I can see a circumstance where, say, Costa and Cannoneer fight. And that opens up Adesanya versus Jones for a big super fight. Okay. May not be my favorite thing in the I, world, but I can see how it happens. I, I, it, to me, to me, to me, it makes no sense. Adesanya should, let's see if Adesanya can at least defend the belt three times. And then we'll see. And then we'll see. That's all I will say. I, it, I think Jones is probably retired by that point. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, there's uh, the perpetual questions about John going up to heavyweight. That's always. It uh, makes some... it makes it makes for if you're Israel Adesanya, it makes sense to call out John Jones and, and try to talk your way into a fight with John Jones. It makes all the sense in the world. But if you're John Jones, how much sense does it really make to fight Adesanya right now? Uh, it depends on what you think you can get out of it. I mean, if he winds up being, you know, the only guy to beat Adesanya for a period of, for a serious number of years. 
just catchweight hysteria. It's not Adesanya. Adesanya, it, look, he's the champion right now, Robert, but, but he's not accomplished a fraction of what John Jones has. Am I wrong? Oh, that is very true. So, I mean, like, to me, there's very little... Until Adesanya has more of a run and really proves himself as champion, it makes virtually no sense, in my opinion, for Jones to take that kind of fight. I'm sorry. It depends on what Jones, you know, wants to do in that respect. Because, again, heavyweight's an option still if he wants... And Stipe Miocic is making noise about not really wanting that, that third fight with Cormier and wanting, you know, a bigger money opportunity... I'm not sure that John is an appreciably Wait, big... I mean, I gotta be honest. That's really kind of moronic on Stipe's part because Cormier gave him the rematch, you know? Eh, after a bit and after screwing him around for a while. There's a, there's a real possibility that's just gamesmanship so what? from... So what? Hang on, hang on. There's a real possibility that's just gamesmanship from Stipe and his camp. Like, oh, you dicked me around for eight months. How do you like it? He still did it. He gave him, the, he gave and, him his rematch. And, and now we're one one. And Stipe might well wind up giving him that rematch. He's saying he just I'm just saying what he's making noise about right now. <sighs> and it's just fighters making noise, just like the Henry Cejudo thing. Yeah. <clears throat> I will I will say this. The notion that Stipe might try to get some kind of uh boxing bout with Tyson Fury or Deontay Wilder. <sighs> I really hope that doesn't right. happen. I wanna all right. Talk about Valentina Shevchenko now. I'm going to move on. Yeah, sure. There's not a whole lot to talk about here, but uh, in your co-main event, Valentina Shevchenko steamrolls Caitlin Chukagian. Um, Blonde fighter had no moments of success at all. Was comprehensively outmatched. But she this entire division is all of that head kick right on her chin, and she kept going. Yeah, she took the ball of the foot. More than the heel. That was a good kick. That is a good kick. That is a good kick. That's a hard kick to throw and land. That's a really difficult kick to land. And it didn't flinch her at all. Okay, so she's now past the Homer Simpson requirement for fighting. Okay. Again, this was a look. Valentine. She had a good record going into this fight. Well, sure, but you just brought up she can take a punch. Like, that's the lowest common denominator for getting into fighting. Okay. She was 6-2. I think that's her overall UFC record. I think she's only lost the once at flyweight. It was the Carmouche fight at flyweight, too. Right. I don't think it was. I think her only flyweight loss prior to this was Jessica I, which should tell you everything you need right. to know. About she my was. point is she wasn't a cab driver, okay? No, she's not a cab driver. She's just not all that great. This whole division is full of fighters who are not all that good. It, it's I mean, not... It's women's still, flyweight it's still is... a relatively new division. Uh, sure. I'm not saying it will never get there. But if we're taking the lay of the land right now, women's flyweight is not a great division. <laughs> Well, to me, you could do worse with having a not great division with Valentino, Valentina just smoking girls at the top. Oh, yeah. No, no. That is very. I mean, imagine for just a minute if like Nico Montagna was still the champion. Right. Like no one cares. Just no one cares. There's a, there's they're trying to milk some of the novelty of, hey, Valentina is 
catastroph like all these women are catastrophically outclassed by Valentina. Watch her kill them. What's the significance of her hip tattoo? Which one? I don't know. Like Dana White said something about the tattoo on her hip. It means like she's a gangster or something. You mean the Glock? Is that what it was? The woman literally has a Glock, I forget which model, tattooed on her left hip. Yeah. She, like... And for the, like, for the record. she showed love for Houston, which I appreciate. So Apparently I'm, she lived there for, uh, she said in her post fights to me, she lived there for like two and a half years. She and started her, her U.S. career there. I'm officially adopting her as an honorary Houstonian. So good on you, Valentina. Uh, I mean, look, this might, the fact that this division is not in a good spot right now does not take away from the fact that Valentina is an absurdly talented fighter and generalized person. Uh, it, it just needs to be noted, like, hey, not a great division. She's not beating people who are objectively great. Now, that said, she was also, she only lost at bantamweight to Amanda Nunes, and I thought she won their second fight. So she can beat people bigger than her, and women's bantamweight might be a bit stagnant, but I think the general level of talent there is probably superior to women's flyweight at the moment. So she can beat that level of opposition, too. This is not as she can only beat. Would would you pick her to beat Amanda in a third fight? They fought next month. Next month? All right. Uh, Okay, hang on. Sorry. sorry. Uh, Six months from now. I got got too deep into the logistics of having a fight right now and then fighting again. But hypothetically, their next fight is against each other again. Yeah, I thought she won their second fight. Yeah, I'd probably lean towards Shevchenko. Okay. okay. I'd pro- I might wind up being wrong about that. If, when I they don't actually think fought, they'll but... fight each other next, but it wouldn't surprise me if they're matched up before both of them retire. I mean, yeah, there's not really a lot of options for either of them <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I mean, providing Amanda's made enough money, who, who knows how much longer she wants to be doing this. Yeah. And, I mean, it's not like there's a deserving bantamweight contender that jumps off the page at you if you look at the rankings. I mean, I mean, look at what Amanda's done. In back-to-back fights, wins over Valentina, Misha Tate, Ronda Rousey, Valentina again, and all UFC champions, and then Chris Cyborg, Holly Holm, Jermaine Durandame, all UFC champions in back-to-back fights. Yeah, she has, she has, there's only, I think, like, there was some absurd statistic about Amanda for a while where the only, uh, like, the only non-champion champions she had beaten were strawweights. Right. Like, and I know she hasn't fought Nico Montano, even though Nico's up at uh, bantamweight now, technically. But, yeah, she's, she has beaten every other bantamweight or featherweight champion the UFC has ever had. Right, so I mean, like, and is beating the most dominant. Retire, Amanda could retire tomorrow, and she's like, she's the she's basically the Michael Jordan or Fedor of this. She's the goat of women's she's MMA. She's the goat. Right now, I'm she's not, the goat. I'm not just her division of women's MMA, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Like she is, and again, I I have a deep respect for Valentina. Amanda's beaten a better level of opposition. Right. That's. That's just the well, way it is. I mean, she beat. I mean, she knocked and out she Cyborg Val- in the first round. So, 
and you know holds two wins over Valentina. However, you score. However, you may have scored the second fight officially. Nunes won. I mean, knocked out the woman who knocked out Holly Holm. Knocked out. Uh, excuse me. Knocked out the woman who beat who knocked out Ronda Rousey. Knocked out uh, the woman who submitted Holly Holm. Excuse me. Submitted the woman who submitted Holly Holm. And knocked out Ronda Rousey, who beat Misha Tate twice. So, and she I mean, beat your man, and and she beat your main Durandamy twice. Right there, you go. So like, I mean, there, every, there is nothing hey, she hasn't accomplished. She, really. It's it's like she has basically, you know, solved MMA math. As it she's pertains to MMA. as it pertains to women's bantamweight and featherweight, she's she certainly yeah. has. So, uh, anyway, uh, Shevchenko again. Steamrolls Chukagian, TKO in the third. I love Valentina. Can I just say that? Sure. I love everything about her. She's, again, she's a great fighter in almost every respect. She's Uh, very charming, too. She's Yeah, she's very engaging. She's a very talented person. I mean, she's trilingual, for crying out loud. I mean, I feel like, like, I feel like if she went, she, she would be, she could be, like, president of the UN and, like, yeah. And like own that whole organization and get every nation in line. If if she won. No, that that's a bit of the halo effect creeping in. But again, she's done a she's done a lot. She's certainly capable of doing tremendous things. I mean, she's a nearly like competitive level dancer. She's a nearly competitive level shooter. Like there's a lot of stuff that she's really, really good at. <laughs> And I, it might be the halo effect, but I have like, no problem with that. Again, when it comes to certain things, like I've seen some other people say, like you know, that woman could run a business and be a multimillionaire. Like, nah, I doubt that. Like, if she could do that and make that kind of money, she'd be doing that instead of fighting. I mean, I I bet she could now. Sure, she will get good business opportunities. Yeah, and again, like have well, even then, like I I know I would bet she has people who. You know, kind of run that side of things for I mean, Kobe Bryant did. Yeah, Bryant was a bit Kobe of an ever, Did Kobe ever go to college? Did no, ever... I think he came. I think he went straight from yeah, went... high school. Was that LeBron? But did he ever? Did he ever get like an honorary degree or do like I don't know? Finish probably. I don't know. I, no I, I, assu- I assume so. Like he was. There's a degree of his business ventures being successful that is really only attributable to competence on his part. Right. Some of it is, hey, wildly successful multimillionaire who has more resources to invest in in some of these things than others, sure. But that only gets you so far if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, some some athletes are good with that part of their lives, some just aren't. Yeah. So uh, I, I really don't, I don't think there's any woman at flyweight right now who will be beating Valentina in the next mm-hmm. like two years. Mm-hmm. She's just, that's where that division is right now relative to her. She'll lose eventually. If she continues to fight that it, it is inevitable. Uh, and you don't need, if you do it long enough and you see this with, you see this with like the all time greats, even like John or GSP or Anderson Silva, you don't get a boogeyman that beats them. 
You just get somebody who's really tough, really good, and between the fatigue and the wear and tear and just the ability to have enough tape to kind of deconstruct them, somebody's going to show up one night and beat them. You know, Johnny Hendricks is not a boogeyman. He was just a really tough fighter who had a, and you arguably got a bum decision. And even if you think George won that fight, okay, he barely won it. You know, Chris Weidman, not Maybe a monster. He had a really good resume going into that fight, though. I'm not. I'm not saying he was again. He was not a bad fighter. He only had like what the one loss. Uh, to, who was it? Uh, Rick Story. Story. I, I yeah. seem to recall. I mean, he'd shown he'd shown vulnerabilities in his fights, even some of the ones that he won. Like again, he's not a. He was not this boogeyman monster that we all like. Oh boy, that guy's coming and he's gonna reign the division for years. No, really, really good fighter. Johnny Walker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, like. Uh, that's kind of the point. Like when you get these, you know, I mean, Chris Weidman, Chris, my Chris Weidman was not some, again, not a, not a boogeyman. He was not some giant specter. He was still a heavy underdog for the first Anderson Silva fight. I mean, he he was again undefeated, really good fighter who just finally, there's, you know, a guy with the right skill set on the right night. Who's done all the homework and put in the work, but is not, you know, it, it, you very rarely get, a direct passing of the torch from, you know, one you know, longtime dominant figure who just loses to the next person who's then going to be the longtime dominant figure. You just wind up having an off night or it all starts catching up to you. And then you see what happens for a bit. And then eventually someone else materializes that's able to put everything together. And that's kind of, again, that's kind of what's going to happen to John eventually, probably sooner rather than later. It's going to happen to everyone who does that at that level at some point, and it becomes more inevitable with each fight. I think this card being what it is, we can just mainly have you do quick hits and run down the rest of the card if you have, and then bash the judges accordingly. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, Okay, Justin Toffa defeated Juan Adams via TKO 159 of the first round. Thank heavens this didn't go any longer. Um, Juan Adams should probably not be in the UFC. Uh, he, he's what one in three now on like a three fight losing streak, lost to Greg Hardy. Uh, is now one in one. I'm, I'm kind of questioning him being in the UFC as well. This is not to say that they can't, you know, blossom as fighters, but there's very few guys who come into the UFC with less than, you know, five fights and really kind of like belong right away. It's a real short list of people that that is true of. Uh, Dan Ige defeated Mursad Bektich via split decision, 29-28. I scored this for Ige. Good fight. Um, Man, I really would like to know what happened to Bektich because he looked like a smashing machine for a while. Uh, I don't know, just injury and then that Elkins loss seemed to really set him back. A really good win for Ige, who's coming on as a fighter. Uh, Another heavyweight fight. You should never have two heavyweight fights on a main card. You're just asking for trouble. Derek Lewis defeated Alir Latifi via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. I think that was 29-28 Latifi, but God, who cares? This fight sucked. Uh, I, have, I have nothing to say. Terrible fight. Uh, Trevin Giles defeated James Krause via split decision. They were 29-28s in play. Here's the story of this fight. 
Trevin Giles was supposed to fight Antonio Arroyo. Arroyo made weight, but after making weight, started having cramping and, and met enough medical issues to cause him to be pulled. James Krause was not only not on this card, was not on this card at all. He was at the event in the first place to corner uh, one of his fighters, Yusuf Zalal, who kicked off the entire card. We'll get to his fight in a minute. So James Krause, on 24 hours notice, probably less, when you, if you were to math it out, with zero training camp, said, sure, I'll fight at middleweight. This is a guy who's, who is a career welterweight or lightweight. And nearly won. The balls on that man are enormous. Um, okay, for the record, uh, our friend Joe Solis, who scored uh, the main event 4-1 to one for John Jones, gave Trevin Giles the first round of this fight, despite Kraus having his back for something like three minutes and having a couple of near submission attempts. And I might be sympathetic to the case that, okay, there, uh, that there might be a circumstance where the other fighter does enough in the, pre in the other two minutes to potentially negate that. You'd need a near finish, but I think it could happen. There was absolutely not a near finish in this fight. Giving that first round to Giles is inconceivable. I mean, it happened. It's inexplicable. It is just, it's bizarre. I think I officially scored this for Giles. I gave him rounds two and three. Uh, Krause wins round one. Clearly, Giles wins round two. Pretty clearly. Like, those two rounds are, should not be in dispute. They are because of moron over there. In the third round, uh, both guys were gassed. Both guys were fighting. It's, yeah, it was a, it's the third round, you know, in that fight. That third round legitimately probably could have gone either way. So if this gentleman, Mr. Solis, was actually competent, his scorecard, should have, which should have given Kraus the first, Kraus would have won that fight because he gave Kraus the third, which, again, I think is probably an acceptable position. I gave Giles the third, but you can argue, you can argue Kraus won the third round. Like, the third round is one of those rounds that under the 10-point must system could go either way. So, hey, we live with it. Um, Lauren Murphy defeated Andrea Levy a split decision. Another terrible bit of judging here. I think I was 30-27 for Lee. Now, the second, the third round, I think, probably could have gone to Murphy. Uh, there was a 29-28 for Lee, 29-28 for Murphy, and then a 30-27 for Murphy, which was uh, just, wow, bad. Bad scorecard. You want to argue Lauren Murphy won the fight? I disagree. But if we were to go back and kind of reparse the first two, if you if I stipulate that okay, maybe she won the third. If you want to reparse the first or the second, we might be able to come. You might concoct an argument. Not all three. Winning. Yeah, the fact that one judge gave her all three was just mind-boggling. Just bad scoring. Uh, really sucks for Andrea Lee. That's two losses in a row. Um, and again, I thought she won this fight. But, we're uh, calling, you were saying to cut her last night. I said you could. I said you could cut this whole division, which I still think is true. <laughs> you could cut women's flyweight and not really lose any. Wow. Oof. Oof. And look, it's not a good division. It's just not. I mean, they're pro they're looking at they're still probably looking at cutting men's fly, which is a better division, demonstrably in terms of talent. Women's flyweight is just not a very good division. 
I mean, look, even if again, even if you think Lee won, rewatch this fight and tell me that there's anything approximating high-level mixed martial arts going on in this fight. You can't. They both showed up. They both fought hard. They both punched each other in the face a lot because neither of them has anything about like relevant head movement. Murphy won this fight based on, hey, I got a takedown with five seconds left in the round and didn't do anything with it because that's the level of judging we were dealing with. It's ridiculous. Um, okay, Chaos Williams. Please tell me that's not his actual first name. Uh, defeated Alex Morono via punches, 27 seconds of the first round. Williams was a pretty heavy underdog here. And he stepped in on short notice after Diego Lima pulled out of this fight uh, late in January. Um, and these two just decided, hey, let's get into a firefight. Well, you play with fire, you're going to get burned. Um, it was a 27-second fight. You know, there's only so much of relevance to be gleaned. But Williams, pretty fast hands, good power. Beat a really tough guy. You know, Morono was on a pretty significant winning streak. So... Good on him. Uh, Mario Bautista defeated Miles Johns via TKO in the second round with a flying knee and punches. Really nice finish from Bautista, actually. He timed this really well. He kept faking to kind of draw out Johns' reactions. He dipped. He dipped straight down, jumping knee, all she wrote. Then on ESPN Plus slash Fight Pass, uh, Journey Newsom defeated Diog uh, excuse me, Domingo Pilarte via TKO in 38 seconds. Pilarte would not get his head off the center line, and that's dangerous under most circumstances. It's more dangerous if you're fighting an opposite stance fighter. Because, as any of you listening to this probably know, if you're fighting an opposite stance fighter, your power hand punching lane is much clearer. you got to move your head. He didn't. He got slept. Um, our last terrible decision of the evening... Well, first, technically, if you were watching this live, Andre Ewell defeated Jonathan Martinez via split decision. There were two 29-28s, which I I gave this to Martinez. All right, let me start there. I thought Martinez won. Uh, I gave Ewell the first, Martinez the second and third. That said, the third round was a little iffy. So I was, okay, I, I was prepared to accept, okay, you gave Ewell the first and the third. I disagree, but... If it, if it comes down to this to one round, and much as I gave it to Martinez, I think you might be able to cobble together an argument for Ewell. And there was a 30-27 for Andre Ewell, completely ignoring the fact that in the second round, Martinez kicked Ewell's liver up into his throat and had him badly hurt. Like That 30-27 is, once again, from our pal Joe Solis, an absolutely ridiculous scorecard. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, I you know, I wasn't going to say Martinez got robbed, but on a 30-27 for Ewell, that man got robbed. Uh, that was a terrible score for that fight. And kicking everything off, the aforementioned Yusuf Zalal defeated Austin Lingo via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. Solid enough debut for Zalal. This was his first fight in the UFC. Uh, you know, he had a more comprehensive game than Lingo did and just, you know, uh, made it all work. So good for him. 
right, that was the rest of this card again. On paper, it was kind of meh. In practice, really kind of meh. So, uh, Jeff, what do you got for the rest of this card? Anything you wanted to touch on? No. Alrighty. Yeah, we are we are not having a lot of good fights on fight cards on paper for the next little bit, guys. I don't know what to tell you. But that was UFC 247. Uh, thank you to everyone who followed along live or has read the post-fight report. It's always appreciated when you guys read along and support my work. All right, uh, this coming Saturday, let's go ahead and jump into that particular event. UFC on ESPN plus 25. Our main event is Jan Blahovich and Corey Anderson. This is a rematch. Corey Anderson defeated Blahovich in their previous meeting, which was back in 2015. God, that fight was six years ago. I mean, less than six, except because it was in September, but yeesh. Um, I'm still leaning towards Corey Anderson in the rematch, uh, but I have I have like no interest in this fight. It's you know Blahovich is I, I mean credit to Blahovich he's on a winning streak. I don't mean to I don't mean to dismiss the totality of I, I mean jeez Blahovich actually has a really good recent record. He is. What six and one in his last seven, and the only loss is to Tiago Santos. And his last two fights, he knocked out Luke Rockhold and then beat Jacare. He could win this fight. I don't mean to diminish his chances. Um, I've just seen too many Corey Anderson fights to get excited about him fighting, and kind of ditto Blahovich. It's it's not that they never have exciting fights. It's just that they're few and far between. I mean, even you know the finish uh, Anderson had of Johnny Walker. Like, I mean, I know he lost his mind a little bit, but uh, you know, for me, it was just oh, okay, got to finish. Good for you. So uh, that's your main event, and I think if big caveat, if John is just staying at light heavyweight, and if Dominic, they don't want to do or can't make happen for whatever reason, the immediate rematch with Reyes, this is probably your number one contender. Also assuming there's not a super fight potential between either Jones and Adesanya or Jones and like Stipe. This is probably your next contender. So it's a relevant fight. But uh, yeah, I, I can't get excited about this fight. So I'm leaning towards Anderson. And I hope I'm wrong, and I hope they turn in a fight that is very enjoyable and gets the fans going and gets everyone excited about either of them or both of them. I, I, I want that to happen, but I'm not going to come here and lie to everyone listening and say I think that's what's going to happen. So, picking Anderson, such as it is, that's your main event, and it's all downhill from there. So, Jeff... Anderson and Blahovich, the rematch. Everyone's been talking about the potential for these guys, how much they've both grown since their first fight. Is Blahovich going to avenge his loss and go on to challenge for the light heavyweight title? No. <laughs> All right, what do you what do you got for this one? I'm not a big fan of Anderson, but what he does generally works. That's very true. And um Let's see. 
he he has a wrestling game that's formidable. And look, he knocked out Johnny Walker. I mean, it seems having a chip on his shoulder going into that fight kind of worked for him. Well, it helps that Johnny Walker has historically been chinny. No, you were you were all on the Walker hype train not long ago, as I recall. I said if he did something spectacular again, they were probably going to hot shot him into the title. Hey. That's that's what I said. <laughs> I didn't say I expected him to. Yeah. I didn't say Johnny Walker's going to be walking on water across the Atlantic. Like, I didn't. Well, that was not my that's line. What we call a backtrack, Robert. That was not my line at all. Okay. Um. Yeah, I just think Anderson's going to win a decision. It's my feeling. Yeah, probably. Uh, you want to just do quick hits for the rest of this card because you do. Should... I want to know, but should we? Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. You want to know how I know this card is terrible? The co-main you event. This isn't the co-main event. Yes, that's that's it. Full stop. In 2020, Diego Sanchez is in the co-main event of a UFC event. That's how I know it sucks. He's fighting Michelle Pereja, who's that crazy gymnast. Like, hey, I'll do a lion salt. That'll be a... Oh, God. You know what really sucks about this fight? I mean, really sucks about this fight? I can see Sanchez winning. And Diego Sanchez needs to go away. It's, I mean, even if you, like, okay, the Mickey Gall win was legitimate. If you rewatch the Craig White fight at UFC 228, he gets knocked out a couple of times from up kicks. And the ref doesn't stop it because Sanchez gets knocked out, goes limp, kind of like, oh, hey, I took a nap. Let's keep going. Like, his chin is shot. I'm picking Pereja because I want him to win and I want Diego Sanchez to go away. I'm not... I, I, I've never really enjoyed Diego Sanchez fights. I know a lot of them are all action. Never really been for me, man. Uh, at women's flyweight, that vaunted division, uh, Montana De La Rosa will fight Mauro Romero Barella. Uh, Barella's coming off of a loss to Lauren Murphy. Whereas De La Rosa lost to Andrea Lee. Probably go with De La Rosa here, but eh, that one could go either way. Um, lightweight Brock Weaver will fight Kazula Vargas. I don't know who either of these guys are. Uh, hang on, let me... Let me bring up Tapology here and let me see if uh, if I had to guess these guys both are coming from the Contender Series. So, Brock Weaver he fights out of fight out of I don't know actually. Okay. Yeah, he's coming from the Contender Series on a three fight winning streak. Oh, I know why I know that name. Ah, he lost a bare-knuckle boxing fight to Joe Riggs. <laughs> I remember that. Oh, God, that was hilarious. Oh, man. 
So in MMA, he hasn't lost actually since uh, 2016. But oh god. Anyways, uh, he's fighting. Oh, that's not his first name. His first name is Rodrigo. So Rodrigo Vargas. Uh, oh, he's fought in the UFC then. Yeah, I remember the name now that I see. It's oh no, it's Rodrigo, not Kazula. Yeah, he lost uh, his UFC debut, but okay. Okay, okay. Um, geez. go with Vargas. Why not? <laughs> Wasn't to Joe Riggs. 2018. Um, Rogerio Bontarin will fight Ray Borg. Hey, flyweights! This will... Mar- okay, so... I did this thing at the end of last year where I counted how many men's flyweight fights appeared on the main card of a UFC event. Not the main event, just on the main card. It came to a grand total of five over all of 2019. UFC does 40-some-odd events a year. You have, you have you know, six or seven fights on the main card. You do the math. Out of all of those, five. Five men's flyweight fights. It's horribly underrepresented in that space. So now we're up to two for 2020. Because I think there was one on... One of the previous events. Is it 246? No, it wasn't 246. Uh, Blades versus Dos Santos had one. And, yeah, so this is our second. Um, probably leaning towards Borg here, but... Uh, again, this bout order might not be correct. Jeez. Okay, yeah, I, I can't find a... Okay, I cannot find a concrete bout order for this, so they might not be on the main card. Wouldn't shock me. Uh, leaning towards Borg. Um, there's a light heavyweight fight between Devin Clark and Daquan Townsend. Townsend uh, debuted at light heavyweight, lost, went down to middleweight, lost, now is back at light heavyweight. That said, Devin Clark is eminently beatable. So... I'll say this, if uh, if, if uh, Townsend loses this one, he's probably gone from the UFC. An 0-3 start across two weight classes, not a good look. And I don't, again, so I'm not sure on the bout order of this. Uh, Lando Venata will fight Yancey Medeiros. Probably the second best fight on the main card, assuming that stays on the main card. In all honesty. Uh, Venata, poor guy, just can't put it all together, man. Debuted in a big way, very nearly finished Tony Ferguson. I mean that if they'd if the ref had stopped that fight after he kicks Tony Ferguson in the head and Tony does what Tony does, I wouldn't have complained. Like that would have been leg- a legitimate stoppage. But yeah, since then, just can't really put it together, man. Anyway, and Yancy Medeiros. On a two-fight losing streak, and granted, Donald Cerrone and Gregor Gillespie, so, you know, tough fighters. Uh, I'm going to root for, I'm going to pick Venata, but that's very sentimental on my part. Uh, then for the prelims, Tim Means and Daniel Rodriguez. Is this the Rodriguez I'm thinking of? It is not. Uh, this is This is Rodriguez's UFC debut. Um, probably going to lean towards means there. 
John Dodson will fight Nathaniel Wood. Why is that not on the main card? Why is Jim Miller not on the main card? This is backwards. This is so ass backwards. Oh, my God. Okay, sorry. John Dodson and Nathaniel Wood. It's all ESPN Plus anyway. It, I know, but still. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm taking a moral stance here. Um, John Dodson on a two-fight losing streak. Only one and three in his last four, and even that was a split decision win that probably could have gone the other way. Uh, Nathaniel Wood has looked really good lately. He's on a good win. He's 3-0 and in the UFC on a longer winning streak overall. Uh, I'm going to go with Wood there, actually. Nathaniel Wood's pretty legit. This is a step up for him because uh, he last beat uh, Jose Alberto Quinones, who I think had a fight signed recently. He's fighting... Uh, oh, isn't, isn't Quinones fighting, like, Sean O'Malley? I think that's what was signed. Anyway. Uh, step up in competition for Wood, but I'm a... Pr- I, I've been on his, uh, I've been a believer in that guy. Like, I've seen his ability. He's he's pretty good. I think he'll win. Uh, Jim Miller will fight Scott Holtzman. This is Jim Miller's attempt to, would he tie Cerrone again? For most wins in UFC history? No, he's only at, tw- he's at 20. I think Cerrone's a little above that now. This will tie him with Cerrone again for most appearances in the UFC. Or would this pull him ahead of Cerrone? They've been trading that back and forth, and I can never keep track of who's ahead. I think Cerrone's at 33. Cerrone's either at 33 or 34. And Miller's currently at 33, so he's either going to tie Cerrone or surpass him. Um, anyway, Miller won his last two fights over Jason Gonzalez and Clay Guida. Uh this is a tough fight for Miller, actually. Scott Holtzman um, may never, you know, be an upper echelon guy, but he's been in the UFC f- since 2015. Has a winning record. And it really tough out. So sentimentally, I will pick Jim Miller, but... I mean, Jim- Miller still has the most wins in lightweight history, I think. He has the most bouts in the UFC lightweight division as well. And he has the most wins. He has the most submissions in lightweight history. And he is... If he finishes this, I think he will tie for most stoppages overall in lightweight history. I think he's one behind like Joe Lozon. He's Jim Miller, man. Just still plugging away. Uh, bantamweight. Casey Kenny will fight Mirab Dwalishvili. Um... I don't know who Kenny is. Yeah, he beat uh, Ray Borg and Manny Bermudez. The Borg one was... I thought Borg won that fight, but uh, the Bermudez one, I think, was more legit. Uh, Dwalish really... Yeah, I'm going to go with Kenny. Uh, women's bantamweight fight between Macy Chasson and Nico Montano. Um, Chasson lost her last fight. Yeah, Selena Landsberg. Montano lost to UFC debut against Juliana Pena. Oh, sorry, here bantamweight debut. Uh, probably go with Chesson there, but still two very young fighters who could make you know, leaps and bounds in their progress very quickly. 
And our other flyweight fight of the evening, Mark De La Rosa, husband of Montana, will fight Holy on Paiva. Uh, Mark De La Rosa is... He's fought in the UFC a couple of times. Oh, geez, several times, actually. Okay, he's 2-3 and three in the UFC. Whereas Paiva, he's fought in the UFC as well, what, twice? Yeah, twice. Lost both of them. Oh, yeah, he had that horrible cut from... Oh, God, that was a nasty cut. Uh, in the uh, Bontarin fight. Oh, that was a bad cut. That was gnarly. <laughs> I'll go with De La Rosa there. So that's your main, that is your event for UFC on ESPN plus 25, such as it is. All right, Jeff, save me from this wasteland. What are you excited about? And the two best fights on the prelims are Dodson versus Nathaniel Wood and Jim Miller versus Scott Holtzman. Should be on the main card. Yeah, this event's going to be, uh, it's going to peak. We're going to have a couple of dull fights, have a couple of good fights, then go back into the gutter. That's kind of the read I have on this. But if you are watching or you just want to follow along with the results and enjoy my misery, follow along in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania this coming Saturday. I will be covering this event, so you don't have to watch it. You can just read the results if you're so inclined. Please do. Please stop by. Say hello. I always appreciate you guys kind of being around. All right, uh, let's get into some news here as far as this goes. Okay, let's start with this because this amuses me. On Instagram, Donald Cerrone revealed he received zero pay-per-view points for UFC 246. Uh, he posted a picture on Instagram of some uh, someone said, hey, congratulations on the success of 246, which we'll talk about again in a second. I uh, hope you made, you know, seven to ten million dollars for that fight. And Cerrone responded with a bunch of laughing emojis going, dude, I got my flat. I got my flat fee and nothing else. Um, Yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. Cerrone got screwed. Um, well, that's on him. He accepted the fight. Yep. Uh, just for the record, guys, I'm kind of confused. Like, he implied he signed like a new contract for this fight, and he was getting paid. I mean, he made two hundred thousand. That's not chump change, but relative to what McGregor got, yeah, it's not much. I'm surprised. Eh, it's Cerrone seems to be under the impression that simply being in the UFC's good graces is worth more than well money. <laughs> uh, hey, again, sucks for Donald, man. I, I, I have that man has given of his body and his and his quality of life for my enjoyment. Yours too, oh, if you're oh, listening. His quality to this. of life doesn't seem that bad right now. Yet. Not yet. The long-term ramifications of combat sports on your health are fairly well documented as a generalized well, rule. I'm not saying the man's going to, you know, die before he's 50. Okay, well. Or he's going to become sure. suddenly become punch drunk. But given the head trauma he's suffered, you know, some form of CTE wouldn't shock me. The His knees are probably going to be shot. There's a lot that you give of your body 
when you fight. He wanted to be a fighter. Hey, look, as long as everyone knows what's going on, you're all adults. That's all I ask is that everyone has their eyes wide open when they go into it. That he said, gotten, he should have gotten some. Yeah, I mean, only getting two hundred thousand dollars to be the co-main event for what is now the most streamed live sporting event is. It, it was the main event to be the other half of the. To oh, be, sorry, did I say co-main? Yeah, I meant to one half the of the main. Side, to be the B side of the Conor McGregor show. And to give Conor McGregor an exciting win, he should have gotten a little more, yes. So. And as Dana White said, giving Conor McGregor a tough, motivated opponent, you know? Yeah, he should have gotten something extra. I agree. Yeah, and uh, for the record, anyone. He should have gotten, he sh- I, I'm not, maybe not points, but he should have gotten a nice, pay- a big payday from that fight. Yeah, the UFC does not like to give pay-per-view points to people who aren't champions. They do give signing bonuses, though. Yeah, I'm not saying I know everything, but okay. if you want to know more, just in a sort of you an independent... You might have gotten a good signing bonus from this contract, I don't know, but yeah, it sounds like he's not happy. Uh, just for the record, guys, if you want to know more about some of the UFC's financial practices, um, I think it's Josh Nash who's been covering the current lawsuit that's against, that's been leveled against the UFC as right. it pertains to their financials. That man has dug through the paperwork on that. If you want to know about how the UFC does business financially, and apparently, hey, for the, whenever they talk about how much, about, uh, you know, fighter compensation being something like 20% of total revenue, which is A, low by any other professional sports standard, B, apparently they include USADA's, like, the fact that they pay for USADA, they consider part of their fighter compensation, which is crap. Well, there's no law that says they have to pay higher. I am aware. Like, when I say it's crap, I'm not saying they're doing anything illegal, necessarily. Doesn't mean it's not crappy. I mean, to me, if fighters want more, they gotta get more. Hey, I agree. They... Look, the fact that for some reason every fighter under the sun thinks that for some reason when it comes to how the UFC operates relative to other sporting leagues, this is the one exception to how a collective bargaining agreement could make everybody's lives better. I don't look, you guys want to put your head in the sand like that, look, that's on you. Leg- look, if we need legislation on this, make legislation. If fighters need to unionize, then unionize. I'm in favor. I'm also supporting fighters not be considered independent contractors and get, I don't know, a retirement package or a, or or something. You know, in uh, in 2020, there's a Actual very good options. Well, in 2020, I think there's a very legitimate argument that fighters in the UFC are not independent contractors. There's a there's a like giant. Pro, I mean, just like pro wrestlers. Yeah, since there's a fair, since the it's not a straight one-to-one comparison, but there's enough similarities. For the majority of people on the professional wrestling scene, you are an independent contractor. A promotion will contract your services for an event for or a set length of time. Anytime you're not with them, you're free there's to go do other stuff. 
there's a good argument that WWE superstars are not independent contractors. Yeah, and yet, a... and yet they don't get any health and they don't get any health insurance. They pay for their own health insurance. Yeah, there, there's a very good argument that uh, wrestlers in the WWE should be employees of WWE, not contractors. And if we're talking again, if we're talking about MMA. For a lot of, especially like smaller promotions, it's probably very true that you have a bunch of independent contractors. Like, hey, I will, I contract you for this fight, or we have a contract for this length of time. An independent, and there's a lot of, there's a severe lack of, you know, influence over what you do outside of that. That is the opposite of true when you're in the UFC. They micromanage a lot. Oh. They do a lot unilaterally. And I think there's a very cogent argument to be made that the status of UFC fighters. You're in UFC. You're not reviewed. really independent. You're not really independent. You can't really fight wherever you want. And if you wrestle for the WWE, you can't really wrestle wherever you want. Well, and the UFC puts limits on sponsorships. On they monitor your whereabouts. They mandate that you be in the USA. Like there's so much that they do right. that you really can't do to an independent contractor legally. <laughs> All right. So. But there, the status, the, the, uh, the, the, if you wish to via a third party force a change in your status like that, the procedure for it involves getting, I think um, there's a number and I can't remember if it's a percentage or a flat number of people in that position to sign uh, cards that will that you want this that you want the status reviewed and then that then the uh, NLRB the National Labor Relations Board will examine it and they have criteria for determining one or the other yes and will hand down a determination as far you know, as know the goes. government is so reliable and trustworthy and good at their jobs hey they're not but this is the procedure in place and this is actually kind of what got Leslie Smith fired was wanting people to sign again these like and they're anonymous like just to sign up and say to sign these cards that would say I want my status as an independent contractor reviewed to see if it's if I should be an employee. But hey, fighters don't want fighters would rather just put their nose like no I can do it alone I'd rather statistically speaking you can't. You know how many Conor McGregor's there are in the world? And by that, I mean just people who exist in that megastar status in the sport. Not a lot. You know how many people there are in the UFC roster right now? About 600, give or take. So you, you want to be that one out of 600? You think you are. You're probably not, statistically speaking. But, hey, that's on them to change it, not me. Uh, Dominic Reyes is not a young John Jones. No, no. Anyone making that comparison? No. Dominic Reyes. He says he's a young John Jones? Yeah. But yeah, I watched a young John Jones. He's, he's two years younger. So. But, man, look, I, wa I watched all... I've seen all of John's UFC fights, man. Uh, and I covered a lot of them. Okay, so a couple fight announcements. Ovin St. Prue... Shamil Gamzatov at UFC in Lincoln, Nebraska on April 25th. Uh, Chaz Skelly is out of UFC in Norfolk. He was going to fight 
Oh, that was a pretty good fight from what I recall. Yeah. Uh, oh, it was going to be against Grant Dawson. Yeah, Grant, that's not a, that wasn't a bad fight. February 29th, uh, Dawson had to withdraw from their first fight. Now Skelly has to withdraw from this one. Yeah, Skelly's an underrated fighter. I agree. Yeah, that um, sucks. It was a pretty decent fight. Um, yeah, the UFC announced a few other... Like events, I think last night they announced their return to uh, Portland. I think it was. Uh, they announced. Let's see if I remember this. Some of these should be listed now. Yeah, you. Uh, they have a fight night coming back to Portland, Oregon. Uh, I think they said the main event was going to be Walt Harris and uh, Alistair Overeem. I'm not jumping up and down, but that's not a bad fight. Not a bad main event for a fight night. Angela Hill is going to fight at UFC in Auckland, New Zealand. Um, yeah, short notice. Loma Look Bunmi. That's a that's a pretty good fight, actually. Loma Look Bunmi is a really good, like traditional Thai boxer. Uh, she put a beating on her opponent in her first Two UFC debut. Notice. I mean, props to Angela Hill. Put you know the fu- the funny thing up. about that, like. It, uh, when Angela was interviewed after her last win, like, well, when are you going to fight next? I don't know when someone gets injured. Hey. I mean, look, Angela's not... To me, she's not a high-level fighter. So, I mean, t- I guess, you know, take the fights when you can get them, you know? She's 33 years old, you know, you she probably... From a from a statistical standpoint, she probably doesn't have a ton of fights left. Take the fights when you can, you know. If you're, yeah. you're a UFC fighter, I mean, look, uh, record's eleven and seven, and she's coming, and she's won her last two. So, if she takes a fight on short notice, I mean, you can make an argument that it plays in her favor. On probably. Uh, let's see. Do you see announced they were going back to Lincoln, Nebraska? Uh, Anthony Smith versus Glover Teixeira is expected to headline. Not a bad fight. Uh, looking at the announced fights for that card. Uh, poor Rocco Martin, man. One tough fight against uh, Damian Maya that should have been a draw, and now he's fighting David Zawada. It is a rough business to be in. Uh, let's see. Anything else they really announced? I think that was kind of it. Jessica Penny is apparently reaching some sort of agreement with USADA to avoid arbitration. I don't know what that means. Yeah, there's all kinds of legal things you can go through to avoid arbitration if that's what everyone's after. Um, I don't even know. Should that even really be allowed? I don't know why it wouldn't. That happens all the time. Like, okay, we're gonna go to we're gonna go to our we're gonna go to arbitration. Uh, how about instead we do X? Okay. Uh, let's see. Chris Weidman announced he's going back to middleweight. Me, the fighters shouldn't even have to pay for that. Boy, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Like, why? Why is it the fighters' responsibility to pay? You know, to get to to an appeal to appeal a decision even. Just to make this fair, you know? Hey, you brought it up. 
And I don't disagree with you. But I'm just saying the UFC and USADA should be taking care of that if they want this program. They don't have to. They can force. They've unilaterally forced it down the throats of the fighters. Well, people wanted. And, and, and hey, what have they done about it? People wanted a clean sport. The notion that USADA provides clean sport is hilarious to me. Well, people were upset because of TRT, and people were raising a stink about it. Yeah, they now were. They want, and now they want TRT. They want TRT Vitor. I do not want TRT Vitor for the record. Yeah, yes, yes, you do. Now, Mark Radlich wants TRT Vitor. Okay. Luke Thomas wants TRT Vitor. I don't think that's accurate either. It is accurate. He wants he wants excellence. Look, Luke. If you're interested in Luke's, no proof. There's no proof that 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 steroids and PEDs improve enhanced performance. That is not true. That Luke Thomas has said that. If it pertains to certain things, then sure. But that's a very, very broad generalization of a very nuanced topic. Okay, but I mean, you're taking taking a singular quote. You're taking a singular quote about a singular issue and a singular talking point and trying to unfairly extrapolate from it. Why is that unfair? Okay, PED. Okay, hold on. PEDs will not help you throw a wheel kick to someone's head. That's true. Right. That doesn't mean they don't improve your performance. Okay. Okay. But people were people were upset and demanding for changes. And they forced UFC's hand. And I'm yeah. not going to back down about that. No, there was a there was a large public outcry about it. That's very true. So So all I'm saying is those people have to accept bl- if they're uh, if they're upset they have to accept blame for this situation as well. Hey, to the extent that I have influence over anything, I accept a degree of culpability for that. Okay, good. Thank you. I don't think that my moral panic rose to the level of others, but I did say I thought we were getting into awkward territory about it. And then, you know, now we have USADA and it's a giant clown fiesta i don't know what else to say about it uh any any other major items worth Uh, yeah a couple of quick things i think um about ufc 246 uh again i mentioned earlier that it's uh according to bob Iger, and the reason i trust bob Iger in this instance is because he is legally mandated to be truthful uh he said that ufc 246 surpassed the uh, logan paul versus ksi event as the most viewed streaming sports event of all time. Apparently this did something like 1 million buys via ESPN plus, which is a huge number. That is a huge number for a paywall behind a paywall. Uh, So that thing is a smashing success financially. So credit to everybody else. Um, okay, the only other thing I think I had... I wonder if uh, WWE is going to try to outsource some of its mega events to, like, different streaming services. I don't know. That was the story coming out of their quarterly earnings, if that could happen, if ESPN Plus would... Like, would ESPN Plus make a play for WrestleMania? I don't know. 
Uh, it wouldn't. They might. Like at a minimum, they could probably diversify a little bit and say, you know, if you wanted to order it through Hulu or Amazon Prime, you can also get it there. Maybe they just because pay per views like included in the cost of the network. I think. Right. So you could still have it like as an as a standalone pay per view, especially like the big events. Also via an exclusive deal with another streaming platform. That that would that probably be a tick off network subscribers though. It might, it might not. I mean, the reality is if you're paying for the WWE network, you're probably watching a lot more than just one, you know, one of the big four pay-per-views. So if they want to do a streaming deal where, you know, the Rumble and WrestleMania are both available for purchase. Selling point for the network is you subscribe to the network and you get all those events plus the big four. So, well, sure. And you also don't have to pay anything extra for them if you're on the network, if I recall. Right? Yeah. So if you have the network, you just, hey, it's WrestleMania this week. Click and watch. Right. If they wanted to, so if they wanted to also go, hey, you can, if you're not a network subscriber, you can buy it through Amazon Prime for 50 bucks. I don't know why that would annoy network subscribers. If it's offered like free for Amazon Prime members in addition to Amazon Prime, then I might be a little peeved, sure. But if they wanted to do something where it's free if you have the network, and by the way, if you don't want to sign up for the network, you can buy it as a standalone event through Netflix or through Hulu or through Amazon Prime, sure, go for it. I don't know if it'll work or not, but hey, try. I'm not opposed to experimentation. Um, okay, last thing here, and there's a couple of short things. Uh, the UFC made, uh, Dana White has said publicly some of the fights that the, they're trying to work on. Not done deals yet, but what they're trying to work on. Uh, they're trying to do an immediate rematch between Volkanovski and Holloway. Eh. I, I don't really like that. I mean, we all kind of knew they were going to lean that direction. I'm... I'd rather not. I'd rather give Holloway another, re- like, a Zabit. rebound fight. Zabit. Uh, Zabit is, uh, they're trying to make Zabit versus Brian Ortega. No. Yeah, they're trying to make that fight. That's something they want to do. Unacceptable. Uh, I like that fight as long as it's a five-rounder. I, I need to see Zabit over five rounds before his first title fight, personally. Uh, they're... <sighs> So that's the direction they're leaning with, no. as far as those four guys go. Nope. Uh, for the record, I favor Volkanovski. Your hypothesis. It's not a hypothesis. Uh, for the record, I favor Volkanovski in the rematch. Uh, that said, I loved their first fight. I, I'd rather they. You know, I'd rather right. we got some fresh matchups, but. Um, also, and the UFC is makes some adjustments. I think he can win. It, he is probably the only guy at featherweight that can beat Volkanovski. And yeah, he, it he was, is. It was a good performance by Volkanovski, but I didn't feel I didn't feel like he brutalized Holloway. He outpointed him. Well, you know, Max Holloway hasn't brutalized a lot of people lately either. <laughs> Tell that to Brian Ortega. Sure, but he didn't brutalize Frankie Edgar. He to me he, he dominated he dominated Frankie Edgar more than more than Volkanovski did to him. I'm yeah. sorry. 
No, he did. He won by a wider margin, but he didn't brutalize him. He okay. didn't brutalize Dustin or he didn't brutalize Dustin Poirier at all. Right. I mean, while he moved up in weight, he moved up in weight for that fight. I'm just saying, some you're not you're there's a lot of fights you're going to have where that level of domination and brutality is simply not practical. Okay. Neither he nor Volkanovski he was very and he was very active last year considering the setbacks he had he had through most of 2018. Arguably to his detriment. Well, like after that Poirier fight, the fact that he fought twice again that same yeah. year is a little crazy. That was a brutal fight, man. All right. Like, take eight months off. Get yourself right. Okay. Not saying that that would have led like to him. He, I, I could see him beating Volkanovski, depending on how things go. But yeah. He's, I he's tend to not like immediate rematches in these cases. It wasn't the fight wasn't that close. No, it was. I think I only gave Holloway one round when I was watching it live. I might have given all of them to Volkanovski. It was which I mean that said, if I gave them all to him, that's probably incorrect. I think Max probably took the fourth. But but to me, it's just can Max can Max make the adjustments? Can he you know see different things this time? I don't think Volkanovski's unbeatable. I just, I'm, I, I think he's great, but I just don't see it. He's as, not unbeatable in some like grand mythical sense, but what he does is extremely difficult to get a handle on, okay. and that leads to a lot of problems for anyone fighting him. Everything he does is camouflaged through multiple layers. I feel like of, if anyone's capable. Of doing it, it's Max Holloway. Yeah, well, okay. Max gave him Max gave him the tough, probably the toughest fight technically of his UFC so, run by far. That includes fights with Chad Mendez and Jose Aldo. I mean, he did get knocked out once. It was a long time ago, but it's it was a long time ago, and I think up at lightweight, wasn't it? Uh, I think you're correct. It was early on in his career. It was the fourth fight of his career against Corey Nelson. And it was back in, it was just under seven years ago. It was May 2013. So again, I mean, look, with Volkanovski and Holloway, you have two fighters operating at the highest pinnacle of modern mixed martial arts. Like, sure, I, I love the fight. I'm not necessarily sold on the immediate rematch, just as a general course of action. And for the record, if they did do Zabit versus Volkanovski, Volkanovski smashes him. <laughs> um, oh, the other thing that they were working on, uh, the UFC is apparently trying to do Masvidal versus Usman for International Fight Week. Um, it's a direction you can go. I, I don't hate it. It's not... It's not necessarily the direction I would go, but I don't know all the behind-the-scenes machinations, so... I... I don't know. I think my apathy towards the fight as I believe it would play out is kind of bleeding into my excitement for it. I'm not very excited by that fight. But, that's again, that's kind of the direction the UFC would like to go. Uh, the two, uh, Usman and Masvidal... Had words at uh, uh, the there was a there was a media event for the Super Bowl. They were both in town in Miami for it. I mean, Masvidal lives in Miami anyway. And I think uh, 
And you know, Usman trains out of Hard Knocks, which is in Boca Raton, which is like Miami area, I think. I mean, from a logistic standpoint, that's the fight to make, Robert. There's a very good argument that that's the fight to make. It's it would be a big fight, maybe. On merit, you can't really argue against Masvidal. No, like I have. Uh, if you're telling me, does Masvidal merit from a meritocratic standpoint warrant a title shot? Yes, he does. Um. And that said, I again, like I just you you don't think I, this would be a big fight? I don't know. I have a harder. You're getting two guys who, if it what? if this fight, hang on. If this fight's ever going to be a big fight, it is now. Let me be clear about that. You have Masvidal at the peak of his popularity. He's bleeding into the generalized popular culture. Um, Usman's coming off of the highest profile win of his career over Covington. If this is ever going to be a a legitimately big fight, this is the moment that it's going to achieve that. And I don't know. Maybe I'm too much me as far as that goes, but I can't get excited about this fight. Why is that? I am not excited about Kamaru Usman as a fighter generally. Wow. Hold on, hold on. Let me be clear. The man is an excellent fighter. I think he, and if the, if that fight does make, yes, I pick Usman. He is better well, you didn't than... Like, you didn't like the Covington fight, I recall that. I did not. I was utterly unenthused by that fight. I am just not very interested in one more 50-43 scorecard from Kamaru Usman. And I think that's what we'd get. I'm just not interested. Sure. Like, like, okay, is the man a is the man the best welterweight in the world? I think so. Do I favor him over everyone else in that division? Yes, I do. Am I excited as a fan and observer of the sport to watch him fight? No, I am not. When did he get a 50-43 scorecard? Well, he's had a couple. Tyron Woodley had two scores of 50-44. First of all, that should have been more. Hang on, let me look something. Let me look Maya, that up. Maya was um, 54 Maya was not 50-43. How was the Maya fight not 50-43? It wasn't. It was 50-45, 49-46, That's ridiculous. I remember that fight. That was not that close. Okay. Uh, he, okay, he had, he had a... Okay, for the record. The, the scoring in the Dos Anjos fight was ridiculous. Somebody gave Rafael Dos Anjos two rounds, which was not accurate. He got a 50-43 against RDA. 150-43. He got 150-43. On one judge, but from one judge. That was the, of all those scores, that's the most reflective of the fight. Okay, sure, sure. Okay, if um, you want to say 50-44, then instead of 50-43, fine. That matchup, I heavily favor Usman. Okay. Again, my issue is... It, is not that it's not. And I want to see that, and I want to see that fight. I. Why well, do you want to see? Hang on, hang on. Why do you want to see that fight? I'm curious. It's a fight to make. That's it. I and I in quite frankly, I like watching both fighters. Okay, fair enough. 
I enjoyed the I enjoyed the Covington fight for the most part. Fair enough. A lot of people did. And I feel I feel like Usman is I feel like he's gotten better since he's gotten to this level. I think his his fights have gotten progressively more exciting. Yeah. Like several years ago, I was not all that enthusiastic about him, but lately, I, I think his fights have gotten just more. You were, act- you were on the edge of your seat during his fight with Woodley, huh? I I I, I mean, he dominated Woodley. I'm not saying he didn't dominate him. I'm saying that wasn't an exciting I fight. I can enjoy I I can enjoy watching a guy solidly dominating another guy and just taking the fight away from him. I can find merit. Hey, look, I'm not trying to kink shame you. It feels like you just did <laughs> by saying that. Uh, it, feels, it feels like you're you're like the people who are like, well, term well, 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 Terminator Dark Fate is the best Terminator sequel since Terminator Two. Oh, that's ridiculous. Who's saying that? <laughs> But I mean, I mean, like you say that, but I mean, like just saying that in itself is almost, it's almost like, it's like, I don't even think that's true. Like I I get that you're trying to say, well, you cleared a very low hurdle. I still don't even think that's accurate. Okay. But uh, (laughs) like there's other, I I would rather watch, I'd rather watch Terminator. I can enjoy a one-sided, I can enjoy a one-sided dominant victory in MMA. Yeah, this depends. I can enjoy those types of fights. I I just as a you know again as a fan of the sport, I am unenthused by Kamaru Usman right now. I think in Masvidal, puncher's chance. I think he's got more than a puncher's chance to win the fight. Masvidal is skilled enough to have more than a puncher's chance. Yeah, that's what I mean. Masvidal, as a matter of practicality. Probably has less than like, kind of like Bisbing when he got no. the upset. No, 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 no. Okay. Masvidal has much less chance of beating Usman than Bisbing did. All right, may, I mean, maybe that's the case. I want, I want to find out. Uh, five years, almost five years ago, Robert, I thought T.J. Dillashaw had no chance in hell of head kicking um, Henan Barrow. You know. I thought Hen and Burrell was like Dracula of the Bantamweight division. TJ Dillashaw became Van Helsing. So, there you go. He changed nationality and became shorter? No, my point is, I thought he was like... I, 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 know, I know, I'm making a huge I didn't see show. anyone beating him at that point, is my point. And I don't see Masvidal beating Usman, but we'll, I wanna I wanna know for sure. And I think them if, fighting is the only way. That, that's why I like that's why I like fighting in general. You know, I think if you were to, I might have to do this now as just an exercise. Okay. But I think if you were to look back at TJ's like three fights prior to the Barral fight, there's probably a much greater indicator of his victory than we all gave credit for at the time. That's very not, possibly, but not enough to say I would have picked him. Okay. Cause I, I didn't then, but I think if you go back, if you like, if you watch those three fights in the lead up and go with the knowledge that, what is this leading to? 
kind of rather than as an isolated incident. Okay. You, there's probably a much greater indicator of his capability relative to Burrell that is present than Here, we all here's my thought. point. Going into the Burrell fight, in three fights, he knocked out Viana, lost a split decision to Austin Sal, which I scored for Austin Sal, and he won a decision against Mike Easton. He was 9-2. and two. And he was the guy who got knocked out by John Dodson in the finale of The Ultimate Fighter. So... I'm not saying I ever would have picked him. But I, 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 and Hen and Burrell, but I mean, look, Hen and Burrell had had multiple wins over Uriah Faber. Um, really long streak, a really long and beaten streak. Submit, yeah, had been undefeated for like, let's see, almost ten years. Almost a full decade. Yeah. Um, Michael McDonald. Michael McDonald looked like a phenom when they fought. He was pretty sure he was undefeated. No, he wasn't. But uh, undefeated in the UFC. Excuse me. Um. Not. I mean, knocked out Eddie Wineland with a spinning back kick. Knocked out Uriah Faber. So. Oh, also. He beat he beat Scott Jorgensen and Brad Pickett when they were very tough competitive fights. Okay, those guys were not world beaters, but they they were tough opposition to kind of just prove yourself that you're like you're that you're going places in the UFC. Like they were gate they were tough high level gatekeepers at the time. So to me, you would not. You would not have expected Dillashaw to win that fight. And so my point is here, you know, stats and resume don't always tell the whole story. And, you know, you can have all the right commentary and predictions in the world and still be wrong in this sport. So that's why I want to see the fight. And you don't have to like Usman. That's fine. You all, I mean, you have very specific tastes about how guys have to fight. Eh, that's... Not necessarily. Sure. My, yes. my, hang on, my taste in which fighters I like is a bit more eclectic than that. But sure. Sure. I mean, look, you're a fan of who you're a fan of, and yeah, I'm. Would I ever like hey, volunteer? Yeah, am I? I I enjoyed the Usman fight <coughs> against Woodley for what it was, and I like seeing, and I enjoyed seeing a fighter generally sort of use a Woodley-like game plan and kind of just beating Woodley the way Woodley would often win fights. Yeah, and it I, is a yeah. It's a master again. There's it's a masterful display of technique and control. Like there's a lot to be learned from it. But you know, am I personally excited to watch? And there's a lot. And in fairness to Usman, there's a lot of guys I'm just not interested in watching fight necessarily. If I had my brothers, I don't know. If he'll, he, I I would favor him to do that to Masvidal. I mean, okay. Here's maybe a better. Go. Here's maybe a better way of explaining why I'm less than enthused about this. Okay. What evidence is there that the style that what what recent evidence is there that the style that Usman normally fights in would not work against Masvidal, given that that style has worked against Masvidal in the past? Let's see. I mean. 
Masvidal has done well against wrestlers before. Not really. Ben Askren. Set aside Ben Askren. Set aside the five-second knockout. Set that aside. That is a statistical outlier. It's just going to confuse the doubt. Why is it a statistical outlier? Because he never did it before and he hadn't done it since. I mean, he knocked out Darren Till. Sure. Not in the first five seconds, but... I'm, I, I didn't say set that aside as he, the man can't knock you out. I said, we're okay. talking about, hang on, we're talking about him versus wrestlers. Set aside Ben Askren. Jake Ellenberger doesn't count. Did Jake Ellenberger try to wrestle him in the fight? I mean, Jake Ellenberger is a wrestler, is he not? Okay, so, okay, let's, okay. He, uh, there's the three. He was Division II NCAA. Okay, who, again, chose not to use that in most of his fights. But right. okay, he beats Jake Ellenberger after the freak uh, equipment malfunction. I mean, not to say he wasn't winning that fight anyway, he was. So okay, Ellenberger. Two wrestlers. Again, let, again so let's set aside Askren. Because the nature of that is, the nature of that is just not very informative to the data you're going to get. I mean, look, there are intangible factors that are sometimes impossible to predict. And look, this is exactly what I'm predicting. If my predictions hold up, I think Masvidal loses. But there, to me, you know, fights don't always go exactly how we expect to predict. Masvidal, I feel like he's he is skilled and experienced enough that I feel he could if he trains and deals with it, he could come he could figure out how to deal with the takedowns and grappling. I have a much harder time seeing him finding anything approximating the success necessary to win that fight. Like is is Masvidal hard to take down? Yeah. Is he hard to control? Yeah. But the more hang on. But the more you're able to force that exchange, that type of scenario on him consistently over time, like he just doesn't deal with that well, historically. I agree, and that's why I'm predicting Usman, and I don't have a problem with that. Okay, so not only – so better way to phrase this. There's always intangibles, and there's always the, there's always the possibility for you know, upsets. But if we're talking about, you know, if I'm going to meet out my, if I'm going to gauge how excited I should be, what's the possibility that you give of you being wrong in your prediction? Like percentage wise? Sure. One to 10. 10 being I have my predictions a shot in the dark. I mean, one being a near certainty. As close to certain as you are. 15%. 15%. Look, I so was certain, I was certain Askren was going to beat Masvidal at one point. So, what I, you know, I like I like fighting a lot. And I, I think you know more about technique and, and, and skills more than I do. But this is just how I feel. That's fair. I just, I tend to only get really excited huh. if I think that... I mean, I always try to do, you know, 
analysis and breakdowns and make predictions and whatnot. I only tend to really get excited if there's a fighter I'm either very emotionally invested in, mm-hmm. or despite my analysis, I am I know that the chances of it going the way I think it goes are you know fifty fifty at best. Like I know that this is this is a like sure here's how I think it's going to go, but do I think? But if you were to ask me, okay, how what's the chance that it's going to go the way I think it's going to go? Okay. I like to say low. All right. Well, let me ask you: What were the chances that you thought the entirety of Usman versus Covington was going to be fought on standing up entirely. Um, what did what did I think that the because they did they that was just like all on the feet. What, did, what were the chances I gave that entire fight of playing out on the feet? Yeah, probably about thirty percent. Okay, because that's where Covington really likes to fight, and okay. I didn't think Usman would. I expected there to be more than there was. I did expect a large chunk of it to be on now, the road. Now, you just gave me, we went through this whole thing about Dillashaw versus Burrell. How How much percentage were you giving Dillashaw to win that fight going in? Uh, in real time? Yeah. I recall being very dismissive of his chances. There you go. Sure, but I also think if that, you would ask... That, think, is your, that, is the history, that is the history of commentary of this sport. I think if you were to tell, if you were to, how do I phrase this? This is a sport built on upsets. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. The fan base might be, hang on, the fan base might be built on upsets. The fundamentals of the sport are not. It's it's a sport that has historically supported and been highlighted by giant upsets. Crazy upsets. we all remember the giant upsets, absolutely. Yes. The fact they are, however, a, they're by their very nature a giant statistical minority. The fact that they're special is because they don't happen that often. If every ten to one underdog won, they wouldn't be ten to one underdogs, and them winning wouldn't wouldn't mean anything. Right. They don't win that often. That's the point. Okay. But they still happen. Yes. But they don't happen often. I mean, look at last night's card. I mean, look, hang on. Jay Pam won. He he lost back to back fights against against an underdog in title fights. Who did? Jay Pam. Yeah. Frankie shouldn't have been the underdog the second time, but yeah. But uh, okay, better example. Look at last night's card. Whole card, start to finish. You know how many underdogs won? How many? Uh, I think three. Okay. So three out of what? Fourteen. Still, you got you had three underdogs winning their fights. So one out of about every four to five fighter, one out, of, one out of about every four to five underdogs is going to cash. That's probably about right statistically. Okay. So they're, again, they're not out of the norm, and they're, but they are far from the foundational principle by which the sport operates. Weidman was the underdog in the rematch with Silva. Another stupid, stupid bit of art. Bit, Part of that, part of the reason that happened, is because of how the betting lines went. That was 
Again, that, that was the underdog. He was so both times he fought Silva, he was the underdog. Mm-hmm. He was not the favorite to win. He was not favorite. How did, hang on. How did Weidman open in the Silva fight? Is a better how did, question. How did he open? And what? Yeah. Let, let, okay. Look, the final betting lines had Silva the favorite. Sure. Who opened as the favorite? Uh, I'd have to go. I mean. We're talking about how many years now? Okay, okay, okay sure. Uh, you don't have to look it up. Like I'm just saying, that's that's it'd be tough it, to pin. It'd be tough to pin. I, I agree. And sure, some of the opening bet, some of the opening lines are designed to incite betting, but the lines also move based on betting. We see fighters okay. flop from I, underdog I, to favorite. I found it on Bleacher Report. Oh, Silva okay. opens as small favorite, but he was still the favorite. He was still the favorite when odds opened for the matchup. Okay. Minus two fifteen to plus one sixty five. Yeah, yeah, that's that's designed to incentive. That's designed to incentivize anybody who didn't bet on Chris Weidman at plus one sixty five after he beat him the first time. That's a better question. People, I mean, people convince themselves that it was like a, a one times out of ten situation. Uh, that it came two times out of ten. <laughs> all I, right much as i, I can appreciate i gotta got call it a night so i think we okay. can wrap it up for for tonight unless you have any other major topics uh let's check twitter see if anything crazy happened over the last few minutes oh god the oscars that's gonna fill up part of my timeline i'm glad i just like rejected awards season it's a giant waste of everyone's time. It's an excuse for them all to be self-congratulatory and try to get invited to both parties and other jobs. And like, please, please hire me. Look at me. I'm a nice person. Just, no, thank you. I have zero interest. Like the fact that the last... Uh, the fact that the, like the last several award seasons have... In my res- in at least a couple of awards, in my estimation, been like objectively wrong. Just no thanks, guys. No interest. You will get none of my time and none of my attention. Okay, yeah. There's just a lot of people. We're, we're getting is a lot of like rehash or people still like trying to parse the terrible scoring from last night. Brad Pitt won an Oscar. Good for him. I like uh, Brad Pitt. Uh, best supporting actor. Yeah. What else was in that category? Uh, don't know. Hang on, let me look it up. I I don't think I, I don't have... even lo- I don't even love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but like I thought Brad Pitt was good in that film. Like I can accept him winning an award, not necessarily an Oscar, but like awards for that film. Well, let's hang on. Let me have a brief look at what's been handed out so far. Best visual effects, nineteen seventeen. Fair enough. Kind of surprised that didn't go to the Lion King. Okay, here we go. That was. Tom, Tom Hanks, uh, Anthony Hopkins, Al Pacino, and Joe Pesci. So Hanks would have been for Won't You Be My Neighbor. Uh, no, no, Tom Hanks was for A Beautiful... Oh, yeah. No, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. My apologies. Yeah. Playing Fred Rogers. Yeah. Hopkins for Two Popes. I don't know what Pacino and Pesci would have been for. Irishman. Oh, God. that's that's self-indulgent wank fest. No, thank <laughs> you. 
Yeah, I can see Pitt winning that for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't have any issue with that. Uh, Laura Dern won. Good for her. Best Adapted Screenplay. Did How did Jojo went, Rabbit take went that? For marriage Story or something else? Uh, marriage Story, yeah. <sighs> Best Original Screenplay, Parasite. I mean, like, I'm fine with Laura Dern. I think she's a great actress, but... I don't know. I don't think that was a best. I don't think that was an Academy Award level performance. But I mean, you know, this is kind. This is my thing about the Academy Awards, Robert. Well, considering that the uh, the other nominees in that category were Kathy Bates, Scarlett Johansson, Florence Pugh, and Margot Robbie. You know what? Out of that cat- out of that group, yeah, I can see her taking it. Margot Robbie for Bombshell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would have given it to Kathy Bates. That's probably where I wouldn't have objected to that either. So Parasite won Best Original Screenplay. Was kind of pulling for Knives Out, but Parasite's an amazing movie. Uh, Jojo Rabbit won Best Adapted Screenplay. Are you kidding me? Parasite with a bullet. I said I was pulling for Knives Out because I really like it from a writing perspective. That said, Parasite is a phenomenal movie. So I'm not complaining. Got it for Jojo Rabbit. Good for him. I can't imagine. That makes no sense to me. Why? I would have given that to the two popes. If we're you, talking, if we're talking okay. about which screenplay is best adapted from the source material, I also despise Taika Waititi, so I freely admit my bias. Oh, why do you despise Taika Waititi? I do not laugh at his movies. Okay. I hated Thor Ragnarok you with a burning passion. Burning passion. Pump for the Wilder People. Uh, Toy Story 4 won Best Animated Feature Film. I mean, you want to know how... Best Animated Feature is simply a glass ceiling to keep those films away from Best Picture. When it comes to some of them, I absolutely agree. Like, Toy Story 3 was the best movie of that. Why couldn't Zootopia have been nominated for Best Picture is my feeling. It wasn't. What year did that come out? 2016 was not the best movie of that year. Okay. What won best picture in 2016? Uh, hang on. 16. So. Doo-doo-doo. So Moonlight won best picture in 2016. Um, Is Moonlight? Hang on. Let's let's look at the. Right. Yeah, Moonlight's 2016. Here's the here's the total list of nominees from 16. Moonlight Arrival, Fences, Hacksaw, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, La La Land, Lion, and Manchester by the Sea. All of those, I believe, are better movies than Zootopia. I disagree, respectfully. Fair enough. So, anyway, uh, that's where we are now. Yeah, nothing new seems to have come up. A bunch of people crying about the judging for, the judging implementation right now in MMA. Which I agree with, but we are now trying to talk about dealing with uh, the intractable reality of government bureaucracy. So, yay. It ain't changing anytime soon, guys. Hate to break it to you. I mean, we can always just flip coins to decide who wins rounds. Would not shock me if some people it do works for It works for the Iowa caucus. <laughs> To the extent that it 
the Iowa caucus matters, sure. I don't ever want to hear a complaint about the Demo- the Electoral co- College ever again. Anyone who complains about the Electoral College's existence does not understand the fundamental underpinnings of a representative republic. You can't complain about it and then continue, and your, and your party continues to flip coins to decide who wins an election. It's a joke. Yeah, well, the DNC is just... Uh, I shouldn't limit this to the DNC. The major political parties in the United States right now are just morally bankrupt, corrupt cesspools full of just the worst kinds of people. Did they actually determine that via coin flip at the end of the day? There were that- coin fl- there were coin flips being flipped to decide who gets the dele- to decide who gets the delegates. That's ridiculous. That is absolutely ludicrous. Ugh. Anyway, I know that there are. You believe it or not, I know that there are circumstances it where didn't win, but there were coin flips. I know that there are circumstances in like high school sports statewide where ties are determined via coin flip, especially if you get how really. Is that, how is that a way to determine a victory? That's not, that's ridiculous. It's asinine. I can live with it if there's a, pro, like, I think it tends to come up if, it, first of all, it was an old system. Like a lot of that got grandfathered in under uh, stuff. Yeah, from, you know, 20 years grandfathered ago. in when there were still slaves in this country, Robert. Well, it also depends on uh, well, some of it. Women were not allowed to vote. Hang on. Some of it also comes down to other circumstances, like a tie between two teams is determined via other statistical means. A tie between three teams that have all beaten each other. All three coaches will get together and flip a coin, and then the odd man out that's is the not, one that's out. That's not a. That's not a. That's not a. That's not a. It shouldn't be a thing. It's generally not anymore. That's random. That's random. That's randomness. It's it's. It shouldn't even be allowed. It, it happens. That it again. It comes from a time when that was probably the best option. Ugh. And the fact that for some reason they never went through and what it's like time was was that time eighteen sixty five. No, there wasn't really organized football in 1865. It tends to come from more like the uh, 1940s or 50s, I think. Okay. And then just no one relitigated the process until it comes up again. It's, it's... You wouldn't believe how many weird laws like that are on the books from a long time ago that just the circumstance for that law to come into play has not reoccurred since. And no one's bothered to overwrite the legislation. Such is the reality of, well, legislation in that case like is different right. because most of that's not governed the same way, but the All procedures right. we, have not been changed. A bit of a anyway. tangent there, but judging is bad. Flip coins, would, flip coins to decide close rounds. What really kills me about judging in MMA right now is the lack of ability to experiment. Like the, everybody and their dog comes out of the woodwork with, well, wouldn't this be better? Like you have no evidence. I'm not saying your idea sucks. People say, hey, what about open scoring? I don't know. It, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I'm saying we have zero evidence to how it, to whether or not it would work. I mean, what would that have changed about Jones versus Reyes? Would it have changed anything? 
Like with Dominic Reyes going into that fifth round on two judges' scores, knowing, okay, two or two, I got to pull it out. Would he have been able to overcome the physical problems he was having with John, or would he have just succumbed to the inevitable? Would the fact that one judge had him down 3 1 of, like, it wouldn't have changed the problem of that judge being an idiot? Would, so again, would open scoring be better? Maybe. No evidence. Would a half-point system be better? I tend to think no, because I don't trust judges with whole number math, much less decimals, but there's no evidence. Would five judges better be better than three? Maybe. Still no evidence. Like, the reason that most... If you listen to, uh, you know, how does the NBA change rules? They have minor league systems. The N, uh, the NFL, the, the NBA is like, what is it, the G League, I think? Forgive me, I'm not a big basketball guy. You know, there's all the minor league baseball teams. I think I read something like, isn't there a minor, they're like a minor league, like a, 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 a zone in the minor leagues that is having a uh, like purely robotic or computerized home plate umpire this season? I know, you're a bigger baseball guy than I am. Is that true? Um, I have not heard about that. Again, it's a minor league thing, not a major league one, but they're trying it out to see if a computer slash robot is more is better about calling balls and strikes than a human is. Like they're playing around. Is it? Maybe. Maybe it's worse. Right. Maybe again, maybe right now the technology is not there, but they're going to have data to support how that is one way or the other at the end of the season. Meanwhile, in MMA, I mean, we don't even have MMA. Sure, but I say, meanwhile, in MMA, we don't even have a coherent rule set. Well, it's because we're regulated by the government. Among other things. Yeah. Anyway, that particular tangent aside. Uh, all right, what do you got to plug, Jeff? It's been a few weeks. Uh, I know you've uh, seen some movies. Let's see. Well, there's one movie I saw that I can't talk about yet until Wednesday. I will look forward to your review of that then. The movie that's coming out soon. I did review Birds of Prey, which I didn't hate. Uh, my review of The Turning, uh, quite possibly one of the worst. It's it's definitely an early candidate for worst movie of the year. Will be a candidate for worst movie of the decade, for sure. Just over a month then. Uh, that depresses me. As a horror fan, like I watched that, I even watched that trailer and went, yeah, no thanks. I'll be reviewing um, the first couple episodes of season seven of The Clone Wars if you're a fan of Star Wars, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, over on uh, the 411 Wrestling Interviews podcast, I just interviewed former UFC fighter Tom Lawler, who now wrestles for M- MLW. Um. So if you're interested about that, if you're interested in hearing his thoughts about USADA and what happened with him. Given I how did, much he got screwed, I imagine he's got some thoughts. He he had uh, not a lot to say, but he did have something to say. So if you want to <laughs> listen to that, check out the 411 Wrestling Interviews podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and the 411 Mania YouTube channel. That's all I have. Thank you, Robert. All right. As for myself, uh Again, there will be this Saturday uh, live coverage of UFC on ESPN Plus 25. This Saturday, Mark Radlich and I will be reviewing Birds of Prey. I haven't seen it yet. Um, The box office returns for it have not been good. 
That's all I know about it right now. I've read Jeff's review. I try to go into those movies as blind as I can, but I like Jeff's stuff, so. Parasite was a good movie. Yeah, I really hope it wins. I genuinely, that was, that's a, that's an amazing movie. And I'm never going to watch the the Hollywood remake, ever. Good call. Hollywood has a bad history of remaking Asian movies. There's not a lot they get right. I, I believe it's going to be like an HBO miniseries or something. I just I can't even I can't even bring myself to think about watching it. Yeah, no interest. Um, so you have that coming up for me uh, in the coming weeks. I think our review of there's a ve- bear in mind. I know how many years this is out of date, but because the Netflix uh, spear- the Netflix uh, series Lock and Key released. There's going to be a source material podcast over in the W2M network under the Rattles Broadcasting Network for the original graphic novel of Lock and Key. Uh, I I think we're going to do the whole run. I'm not sure about that, but uh, yeah, I watched the first episode of the Netflix show because that uh, there's a TV party for that coming up in the near future, and decided I'd ra- I wanted to reread at least the first, uh, at least the Welcome to Lovecraft arc just to make sure I didn't miss anything. And then I looked at some of the episode titles and went, oh, God, they're going to blitz through this entire thing in one season, aren't they? So I, and I also just really love that story. So I reread the entire thing. And now I'm going to get back into the Netflix series, which uh, through about an episode and a half has not grabbed me yet. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a, I mean, I'm going to watch the whole thing so I can talk about it coherently, but thus far, I am not really, I'm not feeling it. I am not feeling it at all. So hopefully that changes, but uh, again, as far as I've gotten, if you're not going to actually leverage the advantages of a live action product, be that television or film, over what a graphic novel has and they, all, they each have advantages over the other one. Let me be clear about this. This is not saying one is better, but they have different advantages. If you're not going to leverage those advantages, why bother doing it? Just a thought. So that's what you got coming up for me in the near-ish future. We'll be back here next week. We will have a review of UFC on ESPN Plus 25. And we will be previewing UFC... On ESPN Plus 26, this is the upcoming event headlined by Paul Felder and Dan Hooker. The UFC is back in New Zealand. Uh, For the record, Felder and Hooker, great fight. Genuinely great fight. I am excited for that fight. Um, Rest of that card? Uh, There's a lot of the traditional Oceana players. Some of them are good. And uh, some of them, yeah, not. For some reason, Priscilla Cashwaya is still both in the UFC and on that card. God help us all. So next week, we'll have a full preview of that event as well as the review. Until then, thank you again, everybody. Always a pleasure to sit here and talk with you, share time with Jeff or whoever else happens to be on the show on occasion or and you all for listening. We will see you then. Until then. Stay safe out there. Please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.